and welcome to Deep Thoughts, Shallow Plots. My name's Erica, and I really like watching horror movies. My name's Katie, and I really like overanalyzing things. What are we overanalyzing today, Erica? Well, Katie, today we are overanalyzing Cabin Fever, the Eli Roth film from 2002. This is our first film we're watching that I had not previously seen. Uh, I also think that this is the first movie we've covered on this podcast of the, what, is this our fourth film? Yeah. Out of the four films we watched, I definitely think this is the one I've liked the least. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to to talk about this film knowing the underlining message of not actually really liking this <laughs> yeah. movie very much. But we are going to be real serious about it anyway. Oh, yeah. We are going to overanalyze everything. I still have a lot to say. I have so much to say. Um, can I actually start with talking a little bit about Eli Roth? Yes, actually. I know that you are a fan of his in a way i am i really like eli roth my only thing that i'm really familiar with him is in inglorious bastards where he's an actor not a director writer so right yes so um, that was my first introduction to eli roth was, oh, was, was in inglorious bastards which may which i maintain as my favorite film it's a good one it's and a- eli roth is like kind of hot in it oh Yes. Hey, remember for Halloween when we dressed up as the Glorious Bastard characters? Yes. <laughs> you were him. Our senior year of college, yeah. we were femme versions of the Bear Jew and Aldo Rain. Yeah. We've got some pictures somewhere. Yeah, we looked good. We looked great. We looked yeah. so good. Nobody knew who we were. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I Inglorious Bastards is one of my favorite films. That's and I think one. what makes it part, it's a great film for so many reasons. And one of those reasons is Eli Roth's character, Donnie Donowitz, a.k.a. the Bear Jew. Right. <laughs> Uh, that was my first uh, introduction to him, and as a 17-year-old, when I saw that film, I found him incredibly attractive. I, yeah. And to this day, I still find Eli Roth incredibly attractive. I'm probably going to take some stances. Um, I am I think I might be a bit of an Eli Roth apologist. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I still like I, him. I, I support you in yeah. all that you do. I can't say I support Eli Roth and all that he does, but I support you. That That's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then that's kind of when I started to get into Eli Roth's body of work as a director, as a writer, as a producer, because while he does great in Inglorious Bastards, if you see any of his acting in anything else, it's not good. He's not <laughs> a good actor. I will say his role in Cabin Fever is my favorite. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Grimm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he has the... He's brilliant he's, in this. I wouldn't say his acting is good, but it is brilliant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, his he's got a fully developed character. Yeah, like, he does. I know who Grimm is. I know that yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll talk more about Grimm. Yeah. And especially Dr. Mambo. And, and then it was about that time that I started getting more into Eli Roth. That's when I saw Hostel for the first time, which I still maintain as a fantastic film. I like Hostel. And, like, I know a lot of people like it. Yeah. I, it's one I haven't seen. We'll do an episode, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hostel 2 as well. Uh, he's got some producer credits on movies that I am I really, really enjoy. Uh, Clown is... Not familiar. Yeah, it's, I think, like 2016-ish, oh, okay. give or take a year. He's just got a couple producer credits on films I do really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think he's a good producer. I think he's a good writer. Um, I think he's an interesting director. And uh, his acting leaves a bit to be desired. Yeah. But I don't really care. And and really, all of this is informed by the fact I find him incredibly attractive. Right. Yeah. No, that's always important. And I can, that's always important. And I and can yet, admit that. 
the fact that I find Ryder Strong rather attractive does not save him in this movie. Right. So how do we deal with these feelings, right? Um, I feel like what what came up a lot for me watching this film and all the things I didn't like about it uh, was the, you know, the tale as old as time how do you separate an artist from their art? Mm, as somebody who really likes Eli Roth and did not like this movie much. And, well, and I've seen this movie before, and I actually, when I watched it for the first time, probably it, it at towards the end of high school, senior year of high school, I really liked it. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch it again. And like, as I, have, I hadn't seen it in forever, yeah. I was like, I can't wait to watch it again. And as I'm watching it and the things that we'll discuss come up, I'm like, uh-oh, this movie might not be good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it no. has actually, it has parts, I would say, that are good. But I just want to, again, Eli Roth apologist. Yes. Um, this is one of his first films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it might be considered his first film. He co-wrote it with um, roommate his from college. roommate from college. Yeah. Um, Randy Perlstein. Yes. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's one of his earlier works. And it was written a long time ago. It was actually written in the 90s. And he was trying to get it produced and, you know, and made. But at the time, the studios were not interested in producing horror movies. They thought horror movies could make money, right? Mm-hmm. And then Scream comes out. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, horror movies can make money. Cabin Fever, here we go. Yeah. And then, um, so they do finally pick up Cabin Fever. And they even um, let him keep the N-word. I also, just the one, though. Just the one. Well, N-word. two, I think. Oh, that's true. they say it at the end, too. Yeah. Yes, but... But it's okay because I think a black person says it the second yeah. time. Yeah, does he say it back though? I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, you're Whatever. you because there you, may be three. You, I appreciate you so greatly for watching this film a second time. <laughs> <laughs> so I found it actually less uncomfortable the second time. Oh, good. Okay, I I want to hear about that. Yeah. Um. So let can I just give a, a rundown of what this film's about mm-hmm. right so it's it's a pretty straightforward cabin in the woods narrative right mm-hmm. um five college or recent college graduates rent a cabin in the woods um you know they think they're just gonna have a fun fun sexy weekend, sexy time a sexy weekend for everybody of, but Bert I guess for drinking nothing but beer no water allowed right yeah, yeah, yeah. um but then they begin to fall victim to a mysterious and incredibly fast acting flesh-eating virus yes um which attracts some unwanted attention from the, the locals the locals right so um I've got the the characters right in front of me. Why don't okay. I, I establish our characters and then we'll start talking shit about them. How's yeah, because okay. God, these motherfuckers. Oh, my gosh. So uh, we've got Jordan Ladd. That's the actress who plays Karen. Right? Okay. Our blondie. Our blonde, yes. Uh, we've got Ryder Strong, who plays Paul, which everyone knows from Boy Meets World. Everyone who's anyone knows yeah. that Ryder Strong was... Uh, Sean. Sean from Boy Meets World. Uh, we've got James DeBello, who plays Bert. Mm-hmm. Who's probably the character I have the most to say about. <laughs> uh, we've got Serena Vincent, who plays Marcy. And we've got Joey Kern, who plays Jeff. Those are our five, right? Yeah. And so any of you following along at home might already be a little bit ahead of us. Mm-hmm. That when we've got five main characters, mm-hmm. we've got ourselves some archetypes. Yeah. Right? Uh, and oh, just hold on for that. Yeah, just, just wait a little bit. So... Where do where do we even begin? Who do you want to talk about uh, first? Well, I think I just kind of want to talk generally about how our all five of our protagonists, yeah, when we first meet them, they are like so shocked by how the locals treat people, by like how the guy at the convenience store is like 
maybe going to beat up his kid, Dennis, how they're using racial slurs. Yes. They also actually later, when they see the pig being butchered at the farm, mm-hmm. they're like kind of freaked out and grossed out by it when it's like, they're at a farm. Of course a pig's being butchered. Yeah. You like, know? do they not eat pork? Like, yeah, do they not yeah. understand how so they're like, they got pork? Yeah. So offended and outraged by these locals mm-hmm. and kind of think they're above them without having any self-awareness about how horrible they are themselves. <laughs> like, okay, just in like the beginning, Mm-hmm. the lack of care they have before the world around them we've got like jeff and marcy kissing while they're driving we have jeff running a red light i mean a stop sign a stop sign he yeah. runs i think he runs like two stop signs wow um later bert just has this fire in the forest that he just leaves super unattended yeah like he starts it around the fire pit he doesn't even start it in the fire pit <sighs> what an idiot and then he just <laughs> walks away to then go which, shooting his gun at random place. which which also makes makes me uncomfortable because we are led to believe that all of these people are college graduates i think jeff is even gonna go to law school he's, he's pre-law yeah 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 which uh, uh wow which i mean you know i mean law students are probably full of idiots well, but, but also someone you know depending on your timeline and someone can go to college whenever they damn well please but mm-hmm. like or not if that's whatever yeah. but like People who graduate from college, they're like 22 years old. And that's a pretty young person. But you would just think that like that young person would still have like an understanding of their impact. Yeah. In the space they're in. Especially with Jeff, but probably to an extent with the other characters too. Yeah. I just get really like rich bitch vibes. These all seem like rich kids. Definitely. They seem like Nepo Especially Jeff. Especially Jeff. Yeah. But, like, so I just sort of, I'm not so surprised that they feel so above these locals and then also have no self-awareness. Like, that seems very true for who right. these kids are. Right. Um, and, yeah, this whole movie is just sort of them, like, kind of facing very immediate karma. Yeah. Because, like, the way that they treat the hermit is, like, we see them later when they're sick get treated the same way when, like, Paul stumbles into that camp with those right. kids. Like, he's the hermit that time. Right. And Bert kind of does that too with the convenience store. Yeah, Den- so, Dennis's dad when when Bert shows up to mm-hmm. the when he finally gets back into town, which was a whole ordeal. Yeah, right? um, Dennis's dad, who I don't think gets a name. Oh uh, yeah, he's know. Dennis's dad. Yeah, um, he says you being sick, that's your problem. Right. Right. Yeah. So very much like. Yeah, the only thing he cares you. about is if then you'll get Dennis sick and yes. then me sick and then that's my problem, which is the same way that our main five people treated the hermit they're like at first they're like okay we'll help you we'll get you blankets we'll call somebody but bird is immediately like nope closing the door not helping yeah and it all gets shut down the moment they realize that this could be a problem for them their car's gonna get stolen or whatever and they might get sick and suddenly they don't want to help anybody and so nobody's gonna help them later either and then also like they're not just don't help the hermit they also really don't help karen when she's the first one to get sick no they, and like yeah. yeah and then nobody else stops to help them when they need help yeah it's like immediate karma what they decide to do to karen is like set her up in the shed yeah like you could have just left her quarantined in her room in it her was room? fine yeah um well God. and you know this is this is a toughie because we will talk about you know the the plague narrative of yes. this film oh i got stuff uh, yeah we got stuff um and it, it it's a toughie because you know this was made in 2002 right and we we really the the flesh-eating virus is quite mysterious. We don't really get a lot of answers to the mm-hmm. flesh-eating virus questions. We don't are we're never explicitly told how it spreads. Um, mm-hmm. We're led to believe it's through water, water yeah. contamination, but like it's only waterborne. Mm-hmm. 
we're led to believe. Yeah. Right. And it's also hard because since this movie was created, we've had an actual plague. You may have heard of it. <laughs> so uh, it, it gives us different perspective. Uh, it, on Yes. It, it gives us a really interesting and unique perspective as people who have who have lived through. Yes coronavirus right yeah it's just like well well and also it's different because coronavirus is air airborne right yeah it's spread through air and, and close contact right whereas mm-hmm. this one is really only seems to be con- um contracted through drinking water yeah so it's a little yeah. different but in other ways not no, not just, yeah we will talk all about that yeah i just have so many feelings <laughs> don't um, even know where to start. I don't even know where to start well you have a lot of feelings about Bert I have a lot of feelings about Bert um I think he's gross he is icky um I, but you know really if we are to compare him to the other characters particularly Paul and Jeff is he any grosser yeah uh I maintain yes yeah that yeah we were talking about this a little bit before that yeah. I kind of have a harder time with Paul than I do with Bert and I completely understand that yeah and i know i understand why um let me just tell a couple reasons why i find bert to be the grossest yes um so when we meet him he's wearing a shirt Mm. a very inconspicuous looking shirt Mm. with just a little print on the you know the the left hand left hand left hand pocket area that says ripe on june 13th 2004 and I was like, I don't know what that means. I had to look it up. And immediately I realized that June 13th, 2004 was the day that Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen turned 18. It's so bad. It's so gross. The use of the term right. It's so awful. I hate it. Um, I hate everything about it. I hate that that shirt exists. And then later he takes off that shirt, thank God. Uh, but later, then he wears a shirt with Ron Jeremy, who's, you know, a, a, a very famous porn actor. Um, that one, I'm just kind of, you know, whatever yeah, yeah, sex yeah. work is work. But um, uh, And then also the other thing that just really hammers home that Bert is disgusting mm-hmm. uh, is that once he realizes that he's sick, yeah. right, he's like, uh-oh. He's like starting to cough up some stuff. The first thing he does is like check his penis. Yeah. Just like gotta make sure that's still there yeah. or like is unharmed right now. God, what a fucking weirdo. Uh, yeah. And I just, oh, Bert is so yeah. stupid. No, I feel like he's the most outwardly obvious awful of them. Yes. The rest of them you could see and be like, what a nice young man. Right. You know, yeah. if you didn't know them. Yeah. But you do know them, you'd be like, oh, they're horrible oh, people. no. Yeah. But Bert, there's no hiding it. So I think one of the interesting and difficult things about this film is that when I watch a horror movie I tend to subscribe to the auteur theory of film right Mm -hmm. where like the director is the author Mm -hmm. and everything that's happening in the film right down the dialogue down to like the positioning of the props in the set Mm -hmm. are significant and mean something yeah however there's a lot of parts of this plot that (laughs) Are confusing as to what function the fuck it's they're doing there. <laughs> I love that. I was like, "What function does this serve?" And you were just like, "What the fuck are they doing?" <laughs> you were trying to be all smart. And I'm like, "This is bullshit." Maybe, maybe I'm like in teacher mode. Yeah, yeah. No, my note for the bowling story yeah. is just why <laughs> with multiple whys. why. Um, maybe I'm just like in teacher mode right yeah, now. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'm just like, what function does, does this, this serve? Right. This serve? I did. Yeah. I had to sit with the bowling story for a while. Cause yeah. I'm like, surely 
surely there is a reason for this. And it wasn't just that somebody had a really cool idea for a story that wasn't big enough for its own movie. So they were like, let's just throw it in here and it'll be great. Right. Surely. <laughs> so there's a couple things that happen that don't even necessarily advance the plot. Yeah. yeah. Right. They're, they're not there to advance the plot. So why are they there? Yeah. Right. Like, so, are they tying into the themes of the movie? Yes. Are they going to set up something that's going to happen later in some sort of way? Foreshadowing. Right. Like, right. what are they doing? So, for instance, let's I want let's talk about the bowling story. But I just want to set up the the example of in the third act where Ryder Strong, you know, Paul's character, Paul is driving and he hits a deer okay yeah and i was like okay that's like first act foreshadowing right right which in my opinion is very lazy foreshadowing and i don't like it when horror mm. movies kill an animal like Often in, with a car <laughs> in an accident of that nature yeah. right i don't like that i think it's cheap yeah. i think there's better ways to kind of mm-hmm. make a sense of foreboding um but that's something that usually happens in the first act mm-hmm. and not in the third when we're in the climax of the film. Yeah. So why, you know, I don't have an answer I as mean, to why that deer scene is there where he, her, he yeah. like crashes into the deer, the deer's face is right next to him, and, and then, then he, he busts a, out a shotgun and, and shoots, shoots the deer. It, and then he's covered in more blood. Yes. I mean, part of it is to make him have a reason for him to look more like the hermit when he stumbles uh. upon the group of underaged partiers oh my right? god he needs to have more blood on him with, to look like the hermit with deputy olsen who is also awful he's actually maybe the worst <laughs> he might be i i feel like we've changed our we've changed our blank this character is the worst no this character is yeah, yeah. the worst well definitely i think we'll come to a, a conclusion yeah, eventually. yeah well but we'll he settle. might be the worst deputy olsen's up there he's awful yeah. he's creepy he's bad at his job he's specifically preying on underage girls specifically explicitly by getting them drunk yeah and no. he's obsessed with partying and yeah. it's like and I, he's a cop which is we all cop? know i hate yes we know you're <laughs> see our last episode <laughs> yes we know katie's a cab yeah um <laughs> Yeah, it, but, but yeah, so I just, but, I don't but, even know what to say. Uh, uh, yeah, no, but back to the deer. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> this the deer. poor innocent deer. Um, the other thing, I haven't actually thought about the deer before until you brought it up. Okay. But the other thing I kind of think of is that since one of the things that Eli Roth is doing in this film is actually, what's that word I can't pronounce? Auteur? No, homage. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah, you pronounced it for me earlier homage. so I could remember it. Yeah. Homage. Because you learn of, by reading. I learn okay. by reading yeah. and it's not homage. Anyway, he pays homage to a bunch of horror films that he loves. Very much, yes. So part of me feels like it's sort of like, it's another way to sort of pay homage to the genre itself right. by throwing it in there somewhere. Right. And also specifically to throw it in there there as a way to not, because that's the moment when Paul has almost escaped. He found another car. Right. He can maybe get out of here. He could see a light at the end of the tunnel. But of like this the genre itself won't let him. Mm. Is that too is that too much? No, I love it. Is that yeah. I love it. It's better it's I mean, again, I like I said, I didn't have an answer yeah. as to why this is happening. Yeah. So any insight I can have, yeah. I am I feel very comforted by. Um le- hey, let's just do it. Let's tell me about the bowling story. Okay. okay. I had to I just I had to really sit with this scene yeah. because um it's my least favorite part of the movie mm. and when there's something that you really hate, yeah, in a work of fiction, you got to sit with it and figure out why. You got to. Yeah. So, my first problem with the bowling story actually is that we get it interspersed with them actually showing us it happening. Right. 
like what a missed acting opportunity we could have just been on Ryder Strong's face and like the other kids faces as the story is unfolding right. and letting them really act their hearts out but like I don't think anybody had faith in these actors which is maybe unfair to them I don't know yeah or maybe it isn't or we didn't get a C. or again you know with Eli Roth directing this film and, and helping to write it maybe he was just like no I want to see like yeah. Some decapitated It's just head. another one of those parts where I feel like he is paying homage to all of these hallmarks of, like, horror movies. Very Like, much. this movie is doing much. But isn't actually thinking about, like, how it fits into this particular movie. So, like, there's the idea of, like, telling scary stories around a campfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, what are the themes of this particular story and how they, do they reflect in this, the rest of the movie? Right. Like, what does a disgruntled employee have to do with any, like, an infectious disease? Right. And, like, there was almost something with the victims having to sit around in that circle and watch each other die, mm-hmm. which could have very easily been a thing that happened in this movie with these kids having to watch each other die. Right. But that actually doesn't happen. Especially as while the story's being told, they're, again, around a campfire. Yeah. In a circle. Yeah. It would have been a yeah. great setup for them to see each other die. But, like, at most, Paul kind of sees Bert die because he's there when it happens. No one sees Jeff die. Nobody sees Jeff die. No one sees Marcy die. Um, He he technically sees Karen die because pa- he kills Paul her. kills Karen. Yeah. yeah. But like that's not Like nobody actually is there to watch them all die. So it's like right. okay well that's not. That's not it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's what I get left with that feeling of like somebody just thought this was a cool story and just really wanted to just stick it in there. I don't know. Um, The other thing I thought of which kind of goes back to how much these characters suck and yeah. specifically why I don't like Paul. Is, like, this is sort of a setup for just kind of how off Paul is. Like, how he keeps insisting that it's a true story. Right. Because it's not. I mean, it sounds like a a typical urban legend. Right, yeah. And even after they sort of give it up and they start laughing, they're like, oh, this clearly isn't a true story. Paul keeps going on talking about how, like, no, I loved that bowling alley. These are all the things I did there. This is so great. And, like, if he actually does think it's a true story, Mm -hmm. to then go on to start, like, fondly remembering all the times he spent in this bawling alley where there were horrific murders is like such a weird character choice but there weren't horrific murders no it's but not the way true he keeps, he's making up a story yeah but the way he keeps insisting it while yeah. at the same talking time talking about how he loves the bawling alley is the part i find weird huh yeah he's like there was a horrible murder there and i loved that place it's like i don't know i just find that i find that to be an early sort of like red flag for Paul. Right. Of like, well, A, just telling the scary story and wanting to gross out Marcy and Karen, clearly. Right. But also just in general being like, this, wanting that to be in a place that he has fond childhood memories. Right. Either despite the graphic awful murders or in part because yeah. of the graphic murders. Um. Well, and also the story is absolutely outrageous, mm. right? Like. It's not. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, at most, I would believe that maybe somebody got murdered at that bowling alley. Maybe. Yeah. I don't think that employees are being decapitated and their heads are being used as bowling balls. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That is just such a hallmark urban legend. To me, but to me also, as someone who is much more familiar with Eli Roth's body of work, like that is totally Eli Roth to me. Like, it's absolutely outrageous. It's com- totally unbelievable. It's disgusting. Yeah. Right. And, like, that's just that. Honestly, I'm starting to think that maybe that was just a story that Eli Roth came up with, and he's like, What do I do with it? Right? That's what I kind of keep going back to. My one little last thing that I have actually about it that I thought of is that there's early on in the story, Bert starts to laugh. Because, of course, Bert starts to laugh about it because it's funny that people are getting murdered. And also, I think that's how he deals with feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Marcy is upset about that and says, it's not funny. And Bert responds, yes, it is, you slut. <laughs> and Marcy even looks to Jeff like, are you just going to let this gonna guy let call, him call me? me a slut? And Jeff's like, what is funny? You know, like he doesn't say anything. <laughs> and like, I don't know. That was just kind of how I felt watching the movie. <laughs> like, I felt like this, like, it's a horror movie, but it's also supposed to maybe have comedy elements to it. Sure. But whenever something funny was happening, I was just sort of sitting there like, that's not really funny and then i just felt like the movie was being like yes it is you slut (laughs) (laughs) right i think that you know i think about this film is from 2002 right and yes it's like it was you know written earlier than that whatever but like there is something about the era of the early 2000s we were in 2002 we were in fifth grade oh wow yeah 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 so that was the era of people people saying gay when they meant bad. Exactly. I, I think, you know, I think about the language used in this film. I think about the N-word. I think about the R-word. I think that they use gay as a derogatory term to mean stupid three times. Yeah. Right. And I was like, this is just so early 2000s, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it did kind of take me. Yeah, it took me back to wh- what was I doing in 2002? I was being in fifth grade and I was surrounded by idiotic boys. Yeah. Who were calling things gay when they meant bad. that they were stupid. stupid or bad. And people were calling each other the R word. Yeah. Or calling themselves the R word. Yeah. Right? So it's just like, yeah, that's kind of a, a pretty good little snapshot of the era we're living in. Yeah. It's not pleasant. No. But it's true. No. So there was also that thing that you said uh right after we finished watching it together Mm -hmm. where you're like, I feel like this is a movie for boys. Oh, my gosh. It's such a movie for boys. Right. Uh, So I feel like that's part of what the bawling scene really set up for me. Yeah. Was the sense that like, yeah, this is a movie for boys and it's funny. You slut. (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, speaking of sluts, should we get into the sex scenes then? Oh, yeah. So and what the fuck they're doing there? There are two sex scenes, yeah. as I recall, right? Um, um, three, if you count the non-consensual fingering of oh, Karen. But all I have to say about that I, is that if somebody is passed out asleep slash feverish, they are not capable of consent. Uh, so let's not include that yeah. sex scene. Let's talk about the two consensual sex scenes, which both involve Marcy, yep. which might be a little bit of a hint as to where she falls in my archetypes. Okay, okay. Um. So, first of all, we just established, we already know that her and Jeff are a couple, right? Mm-hmm. They're making out when Jeff's driving and is supposed to have his eyes on the road, mm. which is one of my biggest uh, yeah. movie pet peeves. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, eyes on the road, people. Yeah. Um, I think she's also, like, putting her hand on his thigh. Oh, and yeah, like, yeah, teasing yeah. each other. They're, they're not being safe. They're in, but they're an incredibly sexual couple, yeah. right? And so they finally get yeah, to the cabin. Yeah, the moment they get there, they make out. Yeah, they finally get to the cabin and everybody's like settled in a little bit and some, you know, Bert's like, I'm gonna go hunt, shoot squirrels or whatever. Whatever. The and, gay squirrels. And Paul and, and Karen are gonna go take hang out, take a dip on the at the lake on the on the dock, whatever. Um and then so Jeff and Marcy have sex, right? Yeah. Uh it's a really interesting sex scene because it's prolonged. It goes on for quite a while. We get the beginning of it with Paul interrupting. Right, yes. And then a little bit more of it with Bert getting caught sort of like pretending to peep on them for a second and then he oh, goes yeah. away to do his thing. Yeah. And then we don't see it for a while and then we go back to it and to catch f- back up on it. And for like a while. Yeah. And interspersed with Bert. And it's interesting because they're like kind of, uh, I don't remember who's on top. I assume Jeff. 
I think it starts with Jeff, and then Marcy rolls him over. Oh. And then she's on top. You go, Marcy. So, like, that's the thing, is that we're stuck looking at the sex scene for a while, and yet it's, the the sex is not for display. Yeah. Like, everything's really close together, like, one of them's on top of the other. Mm-hmm. I think we do get to see some boob. Yeah, we do see her boobs a little bit. But we don't really get, like, full body shots. We just kind of get waist up. I did see a thing about how the actress, I forgot her name already, Marcy's actress. Serena Vincent. Serena Vincent. Yeah. She had previously been in, like, Not Another Teen movie or yeah. something like that, where she did, like, full nudity. Yes. And she was like, I don't want to get typecast as yeah. the fully nude person. Yeah. So she refused to show her butt. Yes. And then they had to, like, compromise with her. So you get just the tiniest upper yeah, portion yeah. of her uh, butt uh, yeah. in the second sex scene. That's true in the second But that's, part, like, yeah. all she wants to show. So, like, respect to her. Yeah, whatever. And I'm that's glad fine. they, like, worked with her on that so, for the most part. So, like, if Serena Vincent wasn't into that, like, again, why is the sex scene going on as long yeah. as it is, right? Because the other behind-the-scene thing is yeah. that Eli Roth wanted to make something that sort of went back to the old 80s slasher stuff, right? Right. Yeah, um, actually, I've got a little quote from him, right? So uh, this movie is inspired by a lot of his other favorite horror films, right? Evil Dead, notoriously taking place in a cabin in the yep. woods, yep, right? Yep, yep. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre also has like a, it's not really a cabin in the woods, but, but there's it's a like, rural element yeah, to it. Yeah, and it's the locals being, yeah. you know. There's, uh, and the last house on the left, right? And so uh, Roth is quoted as saying that like what he saw the direction of horror movies going in the 90s and early 2000s is like a more watered down version right Mm -hmm. and he wanted to go back to the golden era if you will right that the violence and the nudity are like essential parts of a horror film right Mm -hmm. and to go back to you know obviously the the horror films from his childhood you know we all like the things from our childhood the most right like that's what we think was when things were done you know quote unquote correctly right yeah so he wants to go back to that 80s horror film that has like a lot of nudity a lot of sex right and a lot of blood blood, yeah but then it's like okay if the sex scenes are essential what are these sex scenes doing that are essential to this movie right and one thing i will say about them actually as those two sex scenes we're talking about is that they do actually get this really nice kind of like mirroring to them they're like connected to each other like they both start off with paul saying something about condoms in the first one he accidentally walks in on them and is like use a condom yeah he says something like practice safe sex yeah or whatever he says yeah and then the later one when they start to have sex he's like you don't use condoms or like you don't should we use a condom i don't remember what he says but it's something Something about like like, uh, inquiring about condom use yeah 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 and then yeah so that leads us to our second sex scene which is between paul and yeah yeah and Marcy. And this has, in my opinion, the most loaded line <laughs> in the film. So, yeah, uh, Paul is somehow inquiring about condom use, right? And Marcy's response is, don't worry, I'm healthy. Of all the things to say. A very interesting word choice. Yes. Um, especially since by the time Marcy and Paul are having sex, um, people are already starting to succumb to this yeah. this mysterious and horrifying illness right yep. um they have no reason to believe that they are healthy <laughs> exactly it's an it, so hell yeah right so i wrote you know my notes i have healthy as in no stis right right and it's like which seems to be what she means which is what she means right but also uh it's a two-way street what about paul right like i feel like marcy 
is missing a critical element of like self-respect and mm. it's just like i might not have any stis right and sex ed teachers so i'm you know yeah, yeah. saying stis um I, like that marcy might not have any stis but like what about this person she's engaging in in sex with right yeah. like she doesn't know yeah she's probably making an assumption right um is she just not concerned about paul like maybe she's not because he does come off as quite virginal right yeah though it's also yeah i mean it's also her second partner of the movie right She's also already previously had sex with somebody else who, again, like, what about Jeff? They maybe are in a monogamous relationship? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't trust Jeff. No, I definitely <laughs> don't trust Jeff. Um, so it's that just... That's an interesting point. How much she doesn't care about her, her own well-being. She only cares about whether or not she might be a vector for getting somebody else sick. Right. She's not thinking about whether she could contract something from them. Exactly. Right. And just the, the use of the word healthy. Right. Usually I feel like when someone's talking about, right, like STIs they may or may not have, I feel like the go-to word is clean. I'm Yeah, but I wonder if that's just more um, for our era. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know how people talked about it back then. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. Especially since they were closer to like the AIDS epidemic. Truly. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. But that is interesting. And it is certainly interesting in a film where we're talking about a plague (laughs) it's interesting because like what does it mean to be healthy right and it's like actually you are being faced with the risk of being incredibly unhealthy right yeah and then it's after this that we we find out that marcy has this mysterious flesh-eating disease right Right, yeah yeah Um, but don't worry paul pours listerine over his dick so he's safe He's yeah, totally I was, fine. I was looking at Reddit fan theories for this, and I like a lot of the comments were like, "The only thing I remember that movie is Ryder Strong putting Listerine on his dick." <laughs> of all the things, uh, which is uh, again like a very—he's uh, a college graduate. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm holding him to a higher standard. Like, okay, he the should... other yeah, no, the other interesting thing about that scene. And specifically the I'm healthy thing yeah. and not getting sick or whatever is that while the first one was interspersed with these shots of Bert fucking around in the woods. Right. About to cause problems for everybody. Right. This one's interspersed with Karen dying. Oh, yeah. There's shots of Karen dying. Except Karen a- as she is getting sicker and sicker. Right. Yeah, because yeah. she doesn't yeah, technically like, die. She does. Yeah. I mean, technically, later. technically, she doesn't die because of the disease. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Um, so... So I will give the sex scenes this, that they're mirrored really nicely and that they both sort of reinforce this idea of, like, infection. Yeah. Even And, like, this danger even when you think you're safe. And also just the general idea that we haven't actually stated out loud yet, that sex equals death. Right. I feel like, do we need to say it? I mean, yeah. Again, especially since, like, the, you know, our last episode when we talked about Scream, I talked pretty extensively about slasher films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and... And the idea within the slasher genre of sex equaling death, right? Yeah. And and obviously this this film being an homage, yes, to uh, the the kinds of films that Eli Roth grew up, which grew up with, which is which are those eighty slashers, yeah. right? So yes, absolutely, sex equals death. Yeah, and just to touch on it, like specifically for this film, mm-hmm. um, when both the girls' sickness is like revealed to the viewer, yeah, it's during sex acts it's when oh god paul yes it's when paul starts touching her and then his hand comes up bloody it's all bloody and gross yeah shortly after that bert calls her a whore for no reason love that for you bert bert yeah he's got a lot of things to say to women yep yeah and then we first realize that karen is 
no, Marcy is sick during right. her sex scene when he, he's, my least got, favorite shot, yeah, it makes my skin crawl, yeah, is actually the one where he puts his hands on her back and then when he moves his hand away, you can see the red marks where his hands were, yeah, and it doesn't even become like open wounds or yeah. anything yet, but that scene is just my mm. least favorite because or, I hate skin on skin contact, <laughs> right? Um, and then also later after they have sex when Marcy's in the tub shaving yeah. her legs, right? So yeah, there's a lot of like use of female bodies for yeah. sure. No, yeah. even even mm-hmm. going back to Bert actually in Sex Equals Death, after he coughs up blood, the first thing he looks at is his dick, and that's where we see the first wounds are like right above. Oh really? Yeah, that's the first wounds of Bert we see. We see oh, him cough okay. up blood, but yeah, the yeah, actual yeah. like yeah. skin disease that yeah. we see is right there. Is that shot? So like. With the exception of Jeff and Paul, our other three characters, we first see their sickness yeah, because of, like, sex-related things, right. sort of. Right. Where it's a bit more of a stretch, but that is the first place he goes to check. And so That's it's the true. first thing we see. Um, so sh- we're already on the topic of women. Should we just we talk t- about how Eli Roth has never met a human woman? Yeah. And again, you know, like, he's my boy. Yeah. I really like Eli Roth, but you are correct. I don't think he's ever met a human. I woman. don't think he knows. Any At human least women. when this movie came out yeah. in 2002. Hopefully he's met some human women by now. But So let's talk about how obvious it is that Eli Roth has never met a human woman. But I do have one point that I felt was actually a little bit accurate to being a woman. Okay. Which was um, when Paul is like really slowly, slowly trying to like ask out Karen. Yeah. And sort of slowly walking up to it. Uh-huh. How quickly she sort of like. We don't know that she realizes what he's doing, but she quickly tries to change the conversation twice. Oh, yeah. So that he doesn't even get to ask her out. Uh That's, I've been there. Doesn't she also, like, when they're on the dock, she's just like, oh, getting in the water now. Yeah, right after they kiss. These, like, weird conversational escapes. Yeah. Like, don't want to talk about this. Yeah. But I can't tell you I don't want to talk about it. I mean, it felt very, like, high school rather than college girl, but just that thing of, like, I like that this boy likes me. Yes. That doesn't mean I like him. Yeah. But it does mean that I'm going to keep making him like me. Yeah. That felt very like a high school girl. Yeah. Which means that, okay, maybe Eli Roth has met high school girls. Right. <laughs> but what no, about no a, adult women. What about adult women? Yeah, yes. what about adult women? That's the only thing I can give him. Yeah. You know my big one is the leg shaving scene. Who on earth is going on vacation for like what? An ex- a week? Like maybe? a weekend. A week- like a long weekend. weekend. Maybe yeah. a week. And brings a razor? Right. I... No. Also, we see her legs. Yes. There is no hair on those legs. Yeah, she doesn't. They're already waxed or shaved or yeah. whatever. She doesn't need to shave This her is legs. also technically her second bath of the trip. There's earlier when she says that she's going to take a bath. Oh, we yeah. don't see it. But oh, she yeah. just says, she I'm going to go take a bath. Because yeah. I guess that's what women do. They just go take well, baths. I'm actually very pro-bath. I'm pro-bath. Yeah. No, um, especially since, yes. like, I mean, I understand having that response when you just had an encounter with somebody who seemed like they were sick. Wanting to just go take a bath. Right, yeah. Makes yeah. sense. But, like, why why two baths in one little weekend? Like, I don't know. And you're going to shave your leg. It's just, it's a lot. Now, I have met, I have had conversations with women about how often they shave their, yeah. their legs, right? And I have met women who say, I shave my legs every day. And, you know, uh, okay, good for you. Yeah. But, like, who's got time for that? I know. I don't have time for that. I don't have time and for that. if I'm on vacation, I am not no. worried about the state of my body hair. Yeah. And even if Marcy is, like, even if we think that Marcy is somebody who cares about that and shapes her leg every day. Yeah. We see her legs. Yeah. 
She doesn't. She's not somebody who needs to shave every day. Right. And again, going back to like, what function does this serve to the story? Yeah. Is like, I think it's the re- it's the body horror of the reveal of the shaving and like the yeah. open sores, right? And, which, but then but we like, could see that another way. And she does it for so long before she freaks out about it. And she's like, she does a few scrapes, quietly sobbing about it. Yeah. Before suddenly she like realizes and gets up and starts screaming and crying about it. Yeah. And, and then runs she like outside it is is in a tub and yet like comes out more bloody. Yeah. It's 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 it, weird. It's weird. But yeah, definitely like you know it, it you know depends on the woman. But like if I'm traveling yeah i'm not bringing a razor no it seems odd no and just based on like the quality of her hair her hair's not that dark colored it's not that thick she probably doesn't get legs that are that hairy (laughs) hairy. like i just don't think so but then you know also not every chick can be as groovy as us right you know like uh, we we get a lot of messages about the state our body yeah. hair should or should not be in, yeah. right? And so, you know, she's a college graduate in the early 2000s. Maybe she's like, yeah, I need to make sure that my legs are shaved and my pits are shaved and whatever yeah. else, you know? I actually would almost believe her shaving her underarms. There you go. More than shaving her legs. Yeah. But I don't think that would look as sexy. No, it's definitely not as sexy. Even no. though you could get some boob shot, it still wouldn't be as sexy. You could get boob shot. Well, we would already have seen her boobs by yeah. this point. So it's we like old news. got to see her legs. Yeah, it's old news. No. That's the big one that I was like, obviously this was written by a person who is not female. I guess my other one is just Karen's character in general and her insistence on talking about like her past sexual experiences and sex and stuff. Like the conversations we have from her. Yeah. The convers- we get the story about how she went to Berkeley once and she loved it there because some guys would only let her drink beer and wouldn't let her go. We get that story from her. Ooh. She tells that to um, Dr. Mambo's owner. And she, Grimm. oh, Grim. And she likes it. Yeah. And then later we have her telling the story about how she was masturbating with her mom's, like, shower head. Yeah. Okay. Like, what other things do we know about Karen's life? We know that some guy, some old family friend kissed him, kissed her fully yeah. with l- tongue. Okay. So, like, every time Karen talks, she's just talking about, like, some past sexual experience. Hmm. And it's like. Does she have anything else? Yeah. Who I the def- fuck is Karen? I feel like the character of Karen left the least impression no, on me after this because all she does is talk about sex. Oh, and then she gets sick immediately. Yeah. So, like, she doesn't really do anything. No. Right? Yeah. And I'm not even sure if Marcy talks about anything other than sex, really. Well, no, she does because she talks about Karen being sick. Right. But that's it. Because then her other big dialogue is the one where she talks about the plane going down. Oh, and when yes. And it's near- Wow, you want to just grab the person next to you and just have sex with them because you're all going to die anyway or whatever. And then they have sex, yeah. Yeah, that's like her big scene in terms of dialogue. Yeah. And it's like, women do talk about things other than sex. Yeah. I don't know, just by the way. Um, yeah. One other little Mm -hmm. thing. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. I kind of like, but the implications are interesting, Mm -hmm. is that when Paul Mm -hmm. finds Karen. Yes. After Dr. No. Dr. Mambo yeah, eats yeah. her face. Yeah, after yeah. Dr. Mambo gets her, after he's killed Dr. Mambo. Yeah. She's kind of lying on her side. Yeah. And then he rolls her over and sees what the bloody mess she is. Yeah, that she's and missing half her face. a pretty good mirror for how the hermit 
in the very first scene finds the dog lying on outside yeah. and then tries to roll it over and sees the bloody mess. Yeah. So like it's a it's kind of an interesting. I'm always looking for mirrors, you know. Sure, this. yeah. And that's an interesting one, but it also kind of makes it feel like the dogs and the women are on like a similar level in this film. Yeah, as, like the first to die. I want to and the vectors of disease. Let's talk about dogs. There's also like a little Red Riding Hood reference. There is. Yeah, when Dr. Mambo kills Marcy, when she steps outside randomly after her bath, for uh-huh. some reason she's in a red bathrobe. Oh! And, and then she, she gets, gets taken down by, by the, a dog. The and the she's dog, trying yeah. to get from her cabin to the other cabin. Oh, yeah. Which is very, like, trying to get to Grandma's house. To Grandma's house. house. The wolf, which I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. What does it have to do with this movie? Right. What's the point? Why, Why? is this happening? Why yes. is this happening? Do you have thoughts on dogs? I do have that thoughts on could dogs. Im- could so, elu- could illuminate... Oh, I don't know about that, but let's see. So there are, as I recall, three dogs in this film. Okay. There is what the dog we're calling Pancakes. Right. Who is the first dog we see who, when we see, is already dead. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely named Pancakes in the really unnecessary 2016 remake. remake, That's almost the same. Yeah. I don't think he's explicitly called Pancake in this movie, but we're just going to call him Pancakes. Let's call him Pancake. And then we've got Dr. Mambo, who is Grimm's dog. He's a doctor? Like professor or physician <laughs> yeah he's a professor of being, being a dog, dog. that face that's the, <laughs> that's the best line in the film it is yeah the only thing i will take away from this film he's a professor of being like, a dog there's honestly now a high probability that i will name my next dog dr mamba i is how much of an impression that left on me um and then okay hold up now i'm i feel like there's another dog okay no there's actually it's a it's like two or three dogs when um Paul first interacts with Dennis outside the convenience store right. at the beginning of the movie. Yes. And Dennis tries to, like, bite with, bite him. Yes. I don't think he, like, he doesn't bite him as bad as he later bites Bird. Yeah, he really he, gets Bird. But he gives him a little munch. Yeah. Um, and his Dennis's dad is like, there's a stream out back if you want to rinse it off. That's right. And he goes to rinse it off, and, like, two or three dogs actually come over. Oh, yeah, they're just hanging out. And they're just hanging out, and they just come over, and they're, they're like, just like, hey, good, what's up? They're just, just good, good doggos. doggos. Yeah. Yeah, and they and Paul kind of lets them lick his hand. Yeah. And I'm like, you maybe have an open sore on that? Yeah. I don't know about letting random yeah. dogs lick, but I I would, too, because so, dogs, so whatever. So there's, there's dogs in this movie, right? Yeah. Like, a lot of dogs. So, obviously, dogs are great, like, companions, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for her- the hermit, right? Yeah. It makes sense that you would have a dog, right? And Ugh, I feel for the hermit so bad when he finds his dog dead. No. It's the saddest part of the movie. Except it does take him a while to realize his dog is dead. And I was yeah. like, it's pretty obvious that dog is dead. But I but. think my reading of the hermit is that he is maybe has a neuroatypical in some way. Yeah. There's something maybe has a learning disability. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Um so to me dogs are usually like they're a symbol of loyalty and companionship. That's a right? big one. But they don't do that in this film. No. Right? Um I, also to me dogs are like guardians and protectors, mm-hmm. which again not really doing in this movie. Yeah. So like again why is this happening? Why are the dogs here? Right. Mm-hmm. So I did a little digging and I found out that uh, in several cultures all over the world, dogs are also used as a link to death and a transition from life to, to the living world to the underworld. Oh. Uh, so, for instance, I am about to butcher some names. You're ready? I love it. Uh, Hecate. Oh. The Greek goddess of witchcraft. Yeah. Hecate? In Greek. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's great. Love she, her. She's often accompanied by a pack of, of dogs, right? Oh, yeah. And, of uh, course, Hades has Cerberus. Yeah. To go with more Greek stuff. Hold on, man. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I'm excited. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> I sh- love the Chthonic Greek deities. You so do. So I'm here. You do. Yeah. So then maybe you should have told me this. No. <laughs> uh, She's accompanied by a pack of fighting dogs or or hellhounds. And then I thought about, oh, yeah, hellhounds Hellhounds. are a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Indeed, uh, sometimes in depictions of Hakate, like Cerberus, she is depicted with three heads, Mm -hmm. one of which being a dog's head. The other two, in case anyone's interested, is a snake and a horse. Just have that in your back pocket. And then, of course, we've got Cerberus, who who guards the underworld for Hades, right? He's a good, good doggo. He's a good doggo. All three heads of them. Um, and if then, I remember correctly, Cerberus just means like spot or fluffy or something. Oh, it's like a really generic dog yeah. name that like the Lord of the Underworld just named his dog. Rex, Fido. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's something. Yeah. yeah. It's really cute. Uh, in Norse and Germanic myths, uh, dogs can also be a little bit more sinister. Here we go. Ready for me to mispronounce a Germanic name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Garmer. Garmir. There was like a lot of <laughs> lead up to just Garmir. 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 G A R M R. G A R M R. Garmir. 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 I'm really sorry, people who understand. <laughs> and I'm sorry we tried to say it like 80 Norse. times and yes. none of it was better. And none of it was correct. Um, Garmir yeah. is a hellhound, okay. which is, you know, the legend of Ragnarok or the last yeah. battle um, is supposed to be responsible for the death of the god Tyr. T-Y-R. Tyr. Yeah. Tyr. Um, and, well, they're responsible for killing each other oh, in yeah, Norse yeah, mythology. Yeah, yeah. So, so dogs are vicious throughout mythology. Is he one of the ones that's also like, you know how Loki has a bunch of random children? Is no, but okay. Oh, well. Maybe. Yeah. Well, he has, like, a horse child. Oh. And, like, I think he oh, has yeah. a wolf child. He has, like, a wolf child. Um, And then my, my last example is is Anubis, right? An oh, ancient yeah, yeah. Egyptian god, right? As the head of a jackal, which is a kind of dog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you remember what Anubis is the god of? Um, Like, death and shit? The dead. Yeah. <laughs> Anubis is the god of the dead. Um, This is kind of an aside. If yeah. you're talking about jackals and other things that are sort of dog adjacent. Right, yeah. Um, Hyenas. Hyenas. Hyenas, yeah. Not hyenas. Hyenas. Oh, God, now I can't say any word. We can't say any word, yeah. Hyenas. In uh, some, like, African mythologies. Mm -hmm. I researched this for a random thing, and it was a while ago, so I don't know if I remember correctly. But they actually have a history with, um, like, werewolves, but were hyenas. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that there are hyenas that can turn into people and use people voices to lure, like, children humans sure, whatever yeah. into the the jungles so that they can then eat them oh yeah so just there's another sort of scary yeah dog monster though also werewolves if we consider wolves to be dog-like that's true which i do yeah and there are a lot of people who are just afraid of dogs and wolves so like it's understandable that these beasts would have these more in, i mean i don't know if i want to say all of those gods and stuff that you mentioned have negative connotations because death no. doesn't have to be negative right but you know so yeah so ties to death and ties to like and and a symbol symbolizing the journey from the land of the living to the, yeah. the land of the dead, yeah. right? Which is what Dr. Mambo does. Yeah. And also, if we consider pancakes to be maybe the first outbreak point, which it's unclear if he is or not. Yes. Then there you go again, that he's the one that sort of spreads that initially. Yeah. When he gets the hermit sick. Yeah. Dr. Mambo is credited with killing 
two of our characters. And and that is does become a plot point when they're like Dr. Mambo's out running around rabid yeah. or sick or somewhere. Um, and they like kind of have to like work around him, work around him or like stake themselves yeah. out to like try and because like when they're trying to fix the car, but like the dog's out there, too. So like someone's got to stand by with the gun in case the dog comes by while someone mm-hmm. else fixes the car. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, dogs man what are they doing what are they doing there um yeah so i thought that was really interesting and of course all the dogs are are um adorable and, and they're good good boys and i will take boys. no dr mambo slander yeah um one other thing dr though, mambo apologist <laughs> why? even though he kills two people yeah why does dr mambo act the way he does like in the movie like symbolism of dogs aside yeah is he sick yeah, I think we're meant to believe he's rabid. But that doesn't seem to be a thing that the current illness we're dealing with does. Right. They, I wonder They if... find Grimm, like, dead. Yeah. Paul finds Grimm dead, and it looks like he's been partially eaten, which I kind of assumed he was partially eaten by Dr. Mambo. Yeah, we're in the, the death list that I found online. Uh, it says that Grimm is, has been mauled to death by a dog, in parentheses, probably. And then... They have listed Dr. Mambo as the killer, again, in parentheses, probably. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I believe that. I feel like Mm -hmm. I believe more that he died of the illness and then Dr. Mambo did what dogs sometimes do. Right. Though he did it very quickly. Normally dogs take... It's like a day. Yeah. Yeah. No, dogs take way longer than that. If you're worried about your dogs eating you after you die, (laughs) you won't for a long time. Right. It will, he'll have to be really hungry before he decides that you're food. I almost wonder if, like, because we don't really get to see any behavior of the hermit's dog because we yeah. see it. It's already dead. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there is, like, a, you know, the way that, like, a sickness would hit everyone a little bit differently. Yeah. Right? That, like, maybe. It hits animals differently. It hits animals differently. And, and it hit aggressive? Dr. Mambo specifically, like, with a little bit of aggression that like maybe pancakes was too. We don't yeah. really get to see, we don't get to compare it to anything. And but, then, I mean, we yeah. do get a brief mention. Yeah. From, um, the hermit's cousin. Oh yeah. The farmer chick. Yes. That her, that pig is infecting all her other pigs. That's right. Possibly yes. aggressively. Right. Yes. And then we do get to see because of the pig, we have another example of this, not this being I- an interspecies issue. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. and doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> but like we even actually get brief when he's going to kill Marcy. We get like Dr. Mambo vision where it goes all red. We do yes, yeah. We do get <laughs> to see like, from okay, Dr. So Mambo's. He clearly has something going on with him, but like what? Yeah. And what does it have to do with this illness? It's unclear. It- and again, like there's a lot that's unclear about this film. Like we we don't really get a clear sense of what is exactly happening. Yeah. Right? So uh, just uh you know, another mystery for the ages, I guess. Um, so speaking of, you know, diseases and mm-hmm. all that stuff, uh, do you want to take us to literary corner? Katie's Is it time? literary corner. Yeah, I do. And I want to, yeah, I do think it is interesting. If we just want to talk briefly before I get into the lit shit yeah. about how the disease works in this film. Sure. And how we've been saying it seems to be waterborne. Right. Because I feel like maybe some people would go against that because the first time we see it, maybe infect somebody is the dead dog infecting the hermit. Right. When he gets the blood on his hands. So the reason why we're sticking with the water, though, is right. because all of our, our five main, like, co-eds, our five main protagonists, yeah. we, they don't show sign of illness until after they've engaged with water in some way. Right. Bert doesn't get sick until he drinks some water instead of beer and loses the beer bet. Yes. Karen gets sick after 
Paul offers her some water to calm down. Right. Marcy gets sick after we see a shot, uh, like, zooms in on her, tea. her having tea. Yeah. And after that is when she has sex with Paul and we find out she's sick. Right. Um, Paul, despite coming into immediate contact with a lot of sick people, right. doesn't show any sign of sickness until after he falls into the water where the hermit is. Right. With dead. the... the- yeah, uh, ground zero or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Uh, and Jeff, noticeably, doesn't drink water. Yeah. Doesn't come into contact he, with any water. Doesn't wash his hands. I don't know. Yeah. We don't see it. And he doesn't get sick. He, no, no, he doesn't. Um, but also, technically, we are led to believe at the, you know, by the, the end of the film that Dennis does get sick. Yes. With the virus after having bitten Bert. Yeah. Or at least everybody else believes that he has. Right. Yes. So, so what we are led to believe is what spreads it through the rest of the town. Is, is the water. Is the little, the two little kids who are going to make some lemonade. Yeah. And they get some water. With the water. Yeah. And so then we see it and it's like, oh no. And then we get two sequels. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, I do also find it interesting how the locals actually take this infectious disease really serious and yeah. like immediately take it as a serious thing. Just considering that we are now people who have lived through a pandemic. Right. And I just feel like a lot of people didn't take it very seriously. It's no. But. Well, also, if you're right. But also, I was thinking back to spring of 2020 and like what utter chaos it was. Yeah. Like, we did not know. Right. Like I was still walking around at work like without a mask for mm-hmm. like a month before yeah. I was just like, oh, we're supposed to be wearing masks, yeah. right? Um, so because like, yeah, because we didn't know, and also because people weren't like higher up, people weren't taking it seriously, right? Yeah, and we we had really well in the state of Oregon. I think we had like some pretty good leadership, but on the federal level, yeah, level, yeah. like there was nothing. Yeah, yeah. So it's just very sort of interesting that all these locals decide right away the moment they realize that there might be an illness. Yeah, they take extreme measures. But then I thought about the extreme measures that they choose to take our violence and actually yeah. even if we do think about our pandemic that we have are currently actually still living through um we did have a rise in anti-asian yes crimes, yeah which is kind of similar yeah you know it's like we Outsiders. only know how to fight disease when yeah. we have some sort of like other some yeah. sort of outsider out of towners or like asian people as we did yeah um that we can like project it onto we don't know how to fight an illness any other way right Oh, yeah. And and I think that goes with like a general theme of this film that is toxic masculinity. Yeah. Like the men escalate it, escalate a situation like the hermit doesn't even need to die or no. like the hermit might succumb to his illness. But like he is set on fire, supposedly by accident or whatever. whatever. Or they were freaking out. Yeah. But like, oh, my God, just back off, man. Just let them take your car. Yeah. He can take your car. You'll be fine. Deal with it later. Just like the number of times when these people choose fight, when they could have just chosen flight yeah. as their fear response instead. And, and, but they're afraid and, and they fight. And escalating a bad situation to make it worse. The right? one that really gets me actually is Jeff, who for the most part is like our number one best example of how to respond to like yeah. an infectious disease. Yeah. Where he's like covering his mouth. He's, he's staying, staying away. Yep. He's not sharing food. Yep. He's doing his best. But he gets so mad at Bert that he starts, like, a fight, like, a wrestling match. Yeah. He, like, physically starts to fight him. Yeah. Because they can't not fight. Yeah. Even when they are, like, concerned about contact. Yeah. They just need something that they can take down and be manly about instead yeah. of, like, how about we take care of each other? Yeah. How about we don't throw Karen into the fucking cabin outside? How about we do Shed. some, like, how about we apply the scientific method? Yeah. No. How about anything else? Just fighting. I also have this slight theory that maybe the locals already have an idea about this disease existing. Mm. 
Mm, Interesting. Because the old racist at the beginning. Yeah. Who we actually haven't talked about much. No. Tells them to be careful in the woods, but then doesn't really say why. Right. And there's lots of reasons why you should be careful in a wood, but he, like, doesn't say it. And then, like, the hermit's cousin that we meet who's, like, out there butchering the pig. She's aware that the animals are sick. Yeah. And then she also says that she doesn't think that the hermit is her cousin Henry because Henry wouldn't approach the kids because, and I quote, he knows about the ordinance. The ordinance. And that could be lots of things. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. But it also could be that there's an ordinance about, like, there's a disease in the woods. Everybody, like, stay away from each other. You know? Oh. Like, it's possible. Right. We also know that Marcy, when she goes looking for house for help yeah she comes upon this like kind of small beach area where yeah. it looks like people kind of ran away pretty quickly there's a bunch of like detritus right yeah. and then that whole house is empty but it has like food and stuff right yeah inside so it seems like it was kind of abandoned in a hurry and then yes. when bird shows up sick and dennis is sick all of those three guys at the convenience store are like okay we know what we got to do like yeah. they're so ready yep and they're so ready to know that there's a disease there and they even have a kit. A kit? We don't know what the kit is. Do we ever see the we kit? We don't see the kit. Well, like, we see, it's a small box. We see the small box of the kit, what but we don't it? see what's in the kit. Yeah. Right. And yes. like, is it some sort of anti-disease thing? Because they already know about the disease. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's a it's a floating theory I have. Interesting. But it's not related to anything. Interesting. What I really want to talk about yeah. in our literary corner yeah. is plague narratives. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because one thing that I thought about while watching this mm-hmm. was like specifically other plague narratives that I have read. I couldn't help myself. My sure. first one that I thought about was the Decameron, which if you're unfamiliar, by Giovanni Boccaccio mm-hmm. from the 14th century. Oh, okay. Um, Throwback. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's really just an opportunity for Boccaccio to tell a bunch of short stories. There are like a hundred short stories mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. But the framing narrative of it is that there is a bunch of wealthy characters in Florence, I believe, around Florence, who decide that since they're living during the Black Death, yeah, and the, it's all over the city, yeah, they're just going to wait it out by going to a nice little country villa and telling each other stories every night. Uh-huh. Which yeah. kind of sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. In this a does way. sound familiar now. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's kind of the same setup to this movie that we're watching, where it's like they're not escaping the plague, but they go to this little villa mm-hmm. and they tell each other stories around the fire. Mm-hmm. You know. So I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking about Edgar Allan Poe's *The Mask of the Red Death*. Mm. That's from 1842, and it's once again a story where the wealthy people choose to quarantine themselves away from the plague right but they're not successful about it oh and i was thinking about it as kind of like a good i don't know match for jeff's fate where Mm. he i mean a he seems wealthy but he also like takes the resources he takes the beer yes which is like the safe thing to drink yeah and hides himself away but he still ends up having to face the inevitable death just like the characters in The Mask of the Red Death do. Mm. They technically don't dis- die of the disease. Somebody yeah. shows up dressed as the disease and like kills people, but it also is the disease killing people. Just read it. Well, um, I don't need to tell you that Jeff, as we understand, Jeff never does get yeah, the, no, the illness. Yeah, no, he succeeds. He gets shot by the cops. He gets shot by the cops. <laughs> so it's like even when you try to do this and hide away from it, yeah. death is still coming for you, which is kind of yeah. what the mask of the red death says that's what poe's all about man um side note yeah the plague isn't specifically like named in the red death okay but it does involve profuse bleeding at the pores at the pores uh yeah as in you're out of your skin you're bleeding out of your your skin skin, which just i don't know it just sort of felt similar yeah with the infectious skin that's true yeah they're just kind of bleeding all over the place yeah yeah 
And then to go for something more recent. Uh huh, yeah. Not a throwback. Yeah. 1947. Okay. <laughs> Albert Camus's La Pesta or The Plague, mm. which um, is kind of a longer story. But uh, it begins with rats dying and the people have to like clean them up and burn them. Mm. However, it's like the act of like wiping out the rats and burning, like coming into contact with, with them. With the rats, yeah. That they get sick. Mm. So, like, we have this disease that's once again spreading from animals to people. To people, yeah. And then we have an attempt to sort of like, curb the plague through violence actually being what results in spreading the disease so like they burn the rats to try to get rid of it and that's how the disease spreads but it's also what like they do throughout this whole film they try to respond with violence and it just spreads the disease farther even in the end when they kill paul and they're like everything's good we killed all the people who were sick they then dump paul's body in the river and then everybody gets sick right and then we see the truck of the the bottled water company like going yeah. out of town yeah. it's like oh it's gonna spread yeah yeah the only difference is that then this one this this book goes on to sort of talk about these people living through this like quarantine situation mm-hmm. you know and what it's sort of moral is at the end is sort of like what we learn in the midst of plagues there are more things to admire in men than to despise because mm. they like all come together and get well, i don't it. know if that's what i learned yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah but then I was like, okay, there are a lot of similarities between all these very different plague narratives. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's up? Is there like an er plague narrative that all these things are based off of? Is hey, it just living in a plague? Wait, sorry, pause button. What does er mean? Like, like a e- root. E R R? U R. U R. Er. Yeah. Because E R R is like air, like right, an yeah. error. Yeah. No, er okay. is like the er. root, the original, the very beginning. Okay. Yeah. So, like, an original plague story that everything else then gets based on. Right. Okay. But I found um, this Danish professor, mm-hmm. Jorgen Reiber Christensen. Yes. That is a Danish name. Nice. <laughs> and he- here I thought I was having a hard time with <laughs> yeah. Bromir. Jorgen Reiber Christensen. Yep. Um, they did a meta-analysis of various types of texts dealing with the plague. Mm. It did a study in 2015 mm-hmm. called The Formula of Plague Narratives, mm. citing our sources. Yes, got it. Um, and in it, they analyzed 16 plague texts. And this was, like, way back to, like, ancient, you know, Greco-Roman stuff mm-hmm. with their stories of, like, actual plagues that were going on to, like, common day. They had, like... Um, a French medical team sort of dealing with Ebola in Africa and like writing about Ebola in Africa. And then it had like, so non-fictional and it also had fictional things, early writings like Decameron, but also more recent things like World War Z. Oh, sure. And even yeah. like video games and stuff were included. Not oh, in like, plague narratives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they found 33 common occurrences. Oh, for 33 is a lot yeah okay and it's like with some variation so they came up with sort of a generic formula of these things they don't show up in everyone but i basically have the list of them going from the ones that show up most commonly to the ones that show up the least commonly okay and yeah. i thought it might be fun for us to sort of think about them and how they show up in cabin fever okay just for funsies most common plague narratives yeah okay yeah they found that um fictional texts about plagues tended to have about 19 of these 33 on average Wow. And non-fictional ones tended to have about 14 of these 33 in them. Okay. So, like, these are things that come up all the time. So, the first one is numbers of dead. At some point, they, like, list how many have died. Oh. That is actually one that's not, it's I don't think. In in, I mean, we kind of have the cops at the end trying to tally how many there were. Mm-hmm, but that's, yeah. like, really it. Um, then we have the source of the pestilence. 
which in this film is made very obvious as like water and water. stuff. Yeah. We don't really know how it started before that. Yeah. But like we kind of have that. We have description of symptoms. Yes. Blood um, from the pores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have the role of physicians. They actually oh. do squeeze that in. They Paul do. makes it to a hospital. Oh Remember? yeah. The he makes it to the, yeah, he makes it to the hospital. Yeah. And the the medics there, the doctors there are like, we can't treat this. You need to send him to the bigger city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cops are like, oh, we'll take him to the bigger city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just kill him. As in death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> official measures come up a lot. Uh-huh. But I don't think that happens. We don't really see what's happening officially. No, we see, We I feel like we see the locals kind of taking matters into their own hands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really have, I mean, unless that ordinance is related, but we don't really know. Yeah. We have people acting out of fear of the infection. Of course, yeah. Obviously. Obviously, that's all over. Not the most rational way, um, but yeah. One that they found interesting, that, but that I think is really obvious and not that interesting, is <laughs> the um, the involvement of animals. Sure. Yeah. Right? The dogs. Yeah. They were case, like, yeah. they were surprised how many had animals in them. The, Are you? <laughs> the one thing that they pointed out, that it's not just that, like animals as like the source of the disease mm. that sometimes it's also how animals are behaving in the wake of all these humans being diseased um, on the one hand like in our covid times yes the whole nature is healing thing yeah, yeah, where yeah. all these animals were like flourishing because the humans were away it's true yeah i remember but then also like stories about how um you know dogs owners die and then this dog is left on its own yeah which actually we kind of have in cabin fever not really knowing how grim died either way yeah. cabin um captain not captain He's a doctor. Doctor. He's not a military man. He is a doctor. He's a professor of being a dog. Yes. Dr. Mambo is <laughs> yes. left with that and then behaves wildly because he doesn't have his owner. Right. So that's an interesting one. Detrust, distrust of other people. Obviously. Yeah. All over this yeah. one. Yeah. That's one of, that's a huge problem. Yeah. These five friends all ganging up in each other. Yeah. In, ineffective cures comes up a lot. I don't think that's Oh, understand. like something that they think is going to help and it doesn't. Yeah. 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 Um, fear of travel as spreading, spreading infection, and then also flight from contagion. We have both of those where they yeah. don't want to let the kids get away from the cabin because they're going to spread the infection. Mm-hmm. And then we also have like Jeff literally running away from the infection. To a, a literal cave. Yeah. 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 Um, mass graves and burials show up a lot in pandemic stories. And we do stories. get that at the very end. They're we like do. burning all the bodies on the, yeah. on the pyre. Yeah. 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 Um, personalized cases. Oh, okay. Which is just that we're not just talking about the disease as, like, one big thing that's happening on a population level. We're talking about this is how it's affecting this individual person. Right, yeah. Which, obviously, we get because this is a narrative. Right. Well, we get a narrative, and also, as as human beings, it's hard to put into perspective the death of a thousand people. Yeah. It's like, a thousand people, wow, that's a lot of people, but, like, you don't know any of those people, but, like, if you know... One of them. Marcy. Yeah. Right. And you'd be like, "Uh uh-oh. Mm-hmm. what's happening to marcy and then like you can actually have like empathy what's happening yeah. in the yeah yeah humans are weird man um another one that was kind of related to like the like official orders and stuff was administration fails like when the administration just fails you yeah which, when the powers that be who are supposed yeah. to help you in this situation which, um, can't do it we're familiar with in our lives that rings a bell for but sure. also i feel like is kind of present in cabin fever if you consider the cops playing this role where they're supposed to be protecting their their people their town they're so bad at it and they're so bad at it yeah and they actually make it worse yeah and the like the these kids you know our main our main five like trying trying to get help like they need a mechanic and yeah. like they can't get one right yeah. and like the yeah they, gets the cop says hey yeah i'll bring somebody by by tomorrow afternoon and they just never they show don't. up yeah and then he has the story about like well when did you believe it the the tow truck 
broke down, so mm. I needed to get a tow truck to get the tow truck. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't believe you. Yeah. Would I believe it? No, I wouldn't believe it. Sorry, <laughs> Deputy Olson. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. so then another thing that comes up is superstition, like coming up with like ways that don't make sense to stop the disease, but yeah. you do them anyway. Of course, yeah. That's a big one. Um, also... This, this two-sided coin of when you're faced with death, whether you go really religious mm-hmm, yeah. or you go to reveling. Yeah, just like, let's fucking party. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think we see, I think that's kind of Marcy's whole speech about, like, how you just want to, like, sleep with somebody because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to die anyway. It's like that same idea of, yeah. like, we're going to die, so let's just party. Yeah. You know? But I also think that there, are, there is there is small little bits of religiousness in this, mm-hmm. which is when the convenience store people are, the I can't actually remember remember if it's the mob from the convenience store or if it's the police at the end but one of them when they see everything they're like there's some sort of like weird satanic rituals happening unchristian in the god and it's like they literally just had a fire yeah like calm down man yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got a little satanic panic going yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, good stuff survivors in conflict is a big one Mm -hmm. which i think we have quite a bit of yeah that's literally what the movie's about yeah but then there's also like war Mm. That war tends to bring disease or sure. something like that. And we don't really have that because the story isn't big enough for that. It's yeah. not bi- not big enough story for it to then blow into like a pandemic either, which yeah. is something. It's not on a big enough Another scale. one that they found a lot was the winter as relief from the plague. Oh. Yeah. That was an interesting Because one. it's... I don't know, because people cold? don't go outside as and, much. Yeah, people aren't... Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because hmm. then on the other hand, it's also like, that's flu season. So I don't know. That right, was an yeah. interesting one that came up a bunch. That was the one where I was like, what? who cares about the animals? What's this about winter? Yeah. Um maps in specific locations was a big one okay a lot of stories needed to have maps sure okay looting and pillaging uh, uh. we actually do have that they go to that random cabin and just steal things that random house oh yeah and then doesn't doesn't bert steal a candy bar for no reason at the very before beginning before it even becomes anything he just steals yeah and then these last ones which i don't think are in cabin fever yeah. at all marks on doors that one goes way back to the bible oh yeah no we don't but, have that yeah, yeah. um deserted <sighs> cities but we do get mm-hmm. not a mark on a door, but when I think Bert is being chased by Dr. Mambo, yeah. uh, he like marks a tree. Oh, getting chased by the convenience store guys. The convenience store guys, not yeah, Dr. Mambo. Yeah, he does mark yeah. a tree in yeah. that kind of way. Yeah. That is kind of cool. Uh, and I that one really, that scene really like sticks out to me because like you get the fake blood, but then you also get like bits of flesh. Yeah. And like sinew and it's like, oh, yeah, that's gross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah kind of in that way. And like is is he trying to mark the tree to like throw them off i think so because then yeah. they go the other way yeah, yeah yeah anyway what else uh deserted cities uh, we don't we never really get a big yeah. enough story we get some deserted that. houses though yeah, yeah. so maybe yeah. um safe zones and walls to lock out infected mm. we don't get that no Divine, they do t- oh. send karen to the shed they do yeah. actually and they have the cabin as their safe zone yeah so maybe divine punishment mm. the only thing that kind of feels like divine punishment mm-hmm. in the sense that it just is sort of like why did that have to happen? Yeah. Is Jeff getting shot at the end? But that's cops, not yeah. plague related. No. It's just like you're an asshole for leaving all your friends and being the only survivor. So you're going to die anyway. And, and like you can sh- yell and shout about how not infected you are. But like there's so much distrust zone. Yeah. In the in the larger community that they're just going to shoot you. Anyway. Yeah. And then the last one was which came up very rarely was identification with the disease. Where I guess there are some stories where you're, there's like some games where you're actually playing the disease and trying to get people. And there are some stories, I think it's World War Z maybe, mm-hmm. where even healthy people start to act like the zombies and things like that. Hmm. Which is an interesting one, but it doesn't come yeah. up very often. Yeah. 
But um, so then it's like, why do all of these things come up so often in plague narratives from way back then to now? Yeah. And is it just because they're sort of mirroring, well, real life? And these are things that happen what often. What it's like to live yeah. during a plague. I yeah. think I actually even skipped one, too, because one of them was supposed to be um, reports. Press reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did actually. Oh, I skipped a whole line. Press reports, lamentations, being sad about people dying. Yeah. And protective clothing, which actually we do have that one in Cabin Fever. Yeah. Uh, Jeff wears little cloths yeah. over his face. Yeah. And actually the cops at the end when they're burning the bodies, they have on like little bibs and <laughs> gloves. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it's like, okay, well, are we just mirroring real life? And that's why these things come up. But then there are things that aren't necessarily a part of real life that keep coming up. And like, why is that? And where this this particular paper, paper goes mm-hmm. from Jorgen Reiber, Christensen, he writes, I'm assuming he, they write, yeah. um, it seems far-fetched to talk about enjoyment of descriptions of plagues, but this kind of repetition of an established scheme may have an effect. The repetitive formulaic character of these plague tales can to some extent create a narrative containment of fear of epidemics in the reader, and the mimetic embedding of a plague epidemic in a standardized and formulaic narrative form can, in John G. Coelty's words, have the effect that audiences find satisfaction and a basic emotional security in a familiar form. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, I mean, that's kind of what one of the theories about why people like horror films in general comes from. That it's a safe way for us to confront our fear and that it feels even safer when we know kind of like the steps that the story is going to go through. So like if we kind of know the steps that a plague narrative is going to go through, that makes the fear of plague less difficult to confront. And I'm like, I don't know. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So just watching Cabin Fever. If we had watched Cabin Fever before COVID hit. Right. (laughs) Would we have been? Which... I had, but yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I think about that a lot, right? Like, because I've been watching a ton of Ted Lasso lately, right? And okay. there's only two seasons, right? Yeah. As someone with an anxiety disorder, like how I cope with my anxiety, and like I watch the same stuff over and over again mm-hmm. because I know there's exactly what's going to happen. In formula, yeah. even when like conflict occurs, it's just like it's okay because I know that this was going to happen, and I know that it gets resolved, right? Yeah. So, like, why wouldn't that still be the same on the grand level of, like, a pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, is there some comfort being people who are basically living in a pandemic time? Is there comfort in reading? Is there still comfort in reading these sort of stories as you're living through it? Right. To sort of give you an idea of what the scope of it is and where it's going or that, like, people have done this before or that there is a formula to it and we have a way that we're going. Like, is there comfort in that? To have the stories to back up the real life? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. I think there's some comfort in it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of stories yeah. about sickness and COVID in particular that have come out since the pandemic started, uh-huh. which I found interesting originally. But now that I've done this sort of research, I'm kind of like, well, actually, no, that maybe makes sense. This yeah. is how we're like coping with it. This is how we're understanding it. Also, you write what you know. Yeah. And you're yeah. fictionalizing something that's scary to make you understand it more and mm-hmm. feel like you can grasp it better and control it better. That it actually makes a lot of sense that we would be interested in plague stories right now when we're dealing with one. Of course. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Me. Because, I mean, on my my what I was originally feeling like, it was like, who wants to watch these stories? Like, we're living this. Why would you want more yeah. of this? Yeah. You know? But now it's like, yeah, maybe that is how you deal with it, yeah. is to 
learn about it more. And I think also it can help like create connections between people because especially like during the first bit of lockdown, everything was so isolated. Yeah. You know, and you were really kind of just like by yourself Mm -hmm. or with whoever you happen to be living with, you know, and like, well, it's us now, you know, and like to be able to to have that connection around a shared traumatic experience Mm -hmm. is helpful. Yeah. It's therapeutic. Yeah. Well, I also think about like, um, you know, all the like outer space movies that came out in the 50s and 60s. Right. And like response to the development of NASA and like our space program. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, all the movies that are thinly veiled McCarthyism scares. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, why would we make movies? Why would this be like our culture when it's like what we deal with every day? And it's like, well, yeah, because it's our culture and it's what we deal with every day. So, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually just learning a little bit about your main guy, Shakespeare, today. Oh, completely unrelated. And he himself, like, there were some some plagues and sicknesses going around specifically in London. Yeah. Where the theaters were closed. Mm-hmm. So he had to, like, stay home and figure out a new way to make money. And, like, that's actually, he wrote a lot of his non-staged works during what we would call a lockdown. Yeah. And I thought, good for you, man. Good for you. I'm glad somebody um, did some writing while they were on lockdown. So actually what I want to talk about next does still, is still relevant to plagues. Cool. So uh, we see at the very beginning of this movie, it's established that like the boys have all made a bet that they're only going to drink beer that oh, weekend. Right. Yes. Because they're dumb. As they're dumb and they're out of college. And, and the other thing that's kind of funny. Yeah. Is that they're doing it in this very like boy way of like I bet I could do it. Yeah. I bet I could do it. It's I actually do it better than on, you. It's spurred yeah. on by Karen saying that she'd already done it. Oh yeah, yeah, right? yeah. She's I like, drink yeah. nothing but beer. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. those boys made me drink nothing but beer, and yeah. they're like, oh, I bet I could do that. Mm. And then I go, blah, blah, blah. it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so, and then you know, we also think about the fact that one of the ways that we know for sure that this sickness is spread is through water, yeah. right? And so. I thought, because, you know, haven't, have you ever, like, heard stories of, like, oh, well, in medieval times, everyone drank beer because water was so contaminated and bad, That right? is one of the medieval stories that we get. We get a lot of stories about the We get a lot of stories, yeah. <laughs> So, I was just like, I'm going to look into that. So, I did a little bit of research, right? And, and I looked into it, and overwhelmingly, the beer being safer to drink than water and people drinking beer instead of water uh, is not true. Yeah. Yeah. That's my understanding uh, as well. From it's, my... it's a commonly told story, especially during the medieval period in Europe. Um, but no. No. <laughs> no. I mean, people drink beer. Yeah. Sure. But like, no, they drink water. Um, you know, because we think about it because during the medieval period, you know, uh, the Industrial Revolution hasn't happened yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of pollutants in the water. Sure, there's bacteria and microbes. But like, if you're drinking from your water source, your body will deal with that ba- yeah. those bacteria and microbes. Like when I was in Morocco, there was like this beautiful river that like all the locals in that town were like swimming and drinking from. And my guide was just like they can drink from this river you can't right, right? like they their bodies are adjusted yeah. to the microbes and the bacteria and mine was not right and I was like okay I get it um, um and I think yeah. another thing that people probably think of is that they're often thinking of like medieval larger areas like cities towns yeah, yeah. where they're thinking like oh well they didn't have proper sanitation mm-hmm. you know a lot of that water was contaminated with like feces and stuff yeah, yeah, you yeah. know but like 
a that like wasn't how everybody was living yeah a lot of people were living in these more rural situations yeah. where they did have their own like wells and water sources that yeah. like that just wasn't the case yeah it actually especially during the m- medieval period that's just not really the case yeah cities the- didn't really quite kick off yet a, a city is still not really a city right yeah, yeah. um you set me up so perfectly thank you so much um love you so when we come to the time passes and we're in the victorian era right yeah and in london specifically the river thames is oh god so polluted it's so disgusting it's it's still i think considered pretty disgusting yeah. to this day but yeah in the victorian era it was yeah. just everyone it was just like everybody's trash can just yeah. throw it in no. the thames and it was like considered very not the fashion to have a house that was near the Thames because like the smell was so awful. Yeah, you didn't yeah, want to yeah. live near it. No. So during, uh, so like during this Victorian era, the Thames is so polluted because we're starting to industrialize. F- factories are p- yeah. putting their waste into the, into the river and there's poop in the river from humans as well as livestock. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, and then not only that, but apparently this is something I learned. Let me cite my source. I learned this from a YouTube video I watched uh, from the Muter Museum of, of the College of Physicians of Philadelphia. Oh. And it's got the umlaut over the U, so it's Muter, I imagine. Oh, I and uh, the video is narrated by the museum manager, Nancy Hill. So I learned from, from Nancy Hill uh, that... Over the course of 100 years, from 1800 to 1900, uh, the population of London goes from about half a million, Mm 1,600,000 people in 1800 to 6 million people in 1900. Huge population boom. So they have a huge population boom, and their city is not set up to handle that. that population. So... And there's also no, this isn't just in London, this is pretty much everywhere. We still don't have a separation of drinking water from wastewater, mm-hmm. right? So everything's the same, right? So the water you're drinking is coming out of the Thames, and so is all the trash and yeah. waste and poop is going into the Thames. Yeah, the right? water you're getting rid of. As a matter of fact, in England, or I'm sorry, in London specifically, but in England generally, there were three cholera epidemics in 25 years yeah. because of their unsanitary drinking water. Yeah. So in that specific instance, yes, beer would have been a healthier choice than water. However, we, we hear about it like being something that people did for hundreds of years, yeah. right? And throughout tons of societies. It's like, no, pretty much just Victorian England. Yeah. No, and then... And that's other- because they couldn't get their shit together on their sanitation, so... Right, yeah. Because mm-hmm. they were dealing with kind of unprecedented things. Yeah. But uh, also, the other thing I think that we don't really talk about when we talk about this idea of like, oh, in the Middle Ages, they had to drink beer instead of water. Yeah. Is that the beer... A lot of the beer they were making in the Middle Ages... Was more akin to like fruit juice. Oh now. yeah, it's like like the the alcohol content yeah. would be like uh, uh, some of it was so low in alcohol that like if you were to sell it now, it would be considered non alcoholic beer. Yeah, right. So or, like maximum four percent alcohol by volume. Yeah. Right? So the not... idea that they were drinking that instead of like yeah, it'd be the same as saying like everybody was drinking tea instead of what like okay okay and, yeah. and and obviously beer like tea is made with water yeah right it's just so processed it's processed it's boiled right and but I did actually um. Nancy Hill mm-hmm. taught me something else very interesting that there's really just this one instance in which beer would have been a healthier option than water because the hops that they used contained prebiotics mm. right so like they might actually have supported like a healthy immune system and the beer that they were making at least at the time was uh really high in B vitamins which are oh. usually the vitamins that uh 
give us energy and it's also the vitamins that are easiest to get from animal products so especially for like a poor working class person it might be hard to afford meat yeah right so uh b vitamins are nice and also it was highly caloric which like again a working class person needs the calories right like they they probably are yeah. The food they have access to is not particularly nutritious. Yeah. Or they might sometimes not have access to mm-hmm. enough food in general. So, so, like, in that case, yeah, beer would have been a really good option. Yeah. You know? What I'm getting out of this is that, like, beer is the new Gatorade. Everybody should drink it. <laughs> Everyone should should drink Victorian-era beer. Yes. And be healthy as heck. <laughs> uh, no. It's, no. G- it's going to be a no for me. Yeah. Um, so, I just thought that was, like, an interesting little, you know, yeah. thing that comes up in the film of just, yeah. like, oh, beer, drinking beer instead of water. And, and it, like, technically is the healthier option in this film. In this film, and yeah. there are times when there are, it is the healthier option. But over the course of history in general, no. no. And, like, people are still drinking beer, which, again, is not nearly as alcoholic as it is now, right? Yeah. But, like, overwhelmingly, people are drinking water. <laughs> but also, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm just, I am so in the game of debunking myths about the middle ages and just like thinking about how many people in our our world now actually have access to clean water even in america yeah is actually not great yeah um we are fortunate to live in oregon which is always Uh, listed as one of the highest we have the best places yeah yeah it's always highest on the list for places with like good clean water you give me five minutes i can walk to a river yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and like we can drink the water right out of the tap and it's like safe and delicious you know yeah. but even just going like down south to california like suddenly the water's not really super safe anymore yeah and tastes weird because yeah. of the hard ground water yeah. yeah and there are a lot of places in america that do not have safe water and then there's true flint michigan man yeah that's what happened in uh was it jackson mississippi just recently i think over the summer they had mm-hmm. an issue with their drinking water and yeah they couldn't drink it anymore and then also when we get outside of america Oh my gosh. Dude. It actually becomes also like a gendered issue where women in like rural areas in like Africa and part of Asia have to spend so much time walking to clean water or the cleanest water they can find, which isn't always clean, and then walking back, which means they don't have time to go to school. Yeah, it's the that that chore overwhelmingly falls to women and girls, yep. right? Yeah. And yep. yeah, that's exactly it. We actually I actually show a video in my health class about clean water and sanitation and uh group of girls in nigeria who didn't have access to school or like could only go to school sometimes they'd fall behind right and then of course it it kind of ends up turning into an ad for like this water filtration thing that procter and gamble you know or you know yeah uh are trying to get people to use and you know trying to whatever you know um i mean there's also the book a long walk to water which is about well, it's about the Su- the Second Sudanese Civil War, mm. but at the same time, it's telling the story of a girl who, in Sudan, every day has to walk to the river and walk back, and what her life is like doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also, the walk to get water can be really dangerous. Yeah, like yeah. there be people there and like the, want to rob you or assault you. And then you. the water isn't always safe to drink anyway. Yeah. So it's like I don't know. We just have I I just feel like with that myth, we have a lot of myths about the Middle Ages that are like. Not true. Sent to make us feel, like, better than them because it's, like, quote-unquote the Dark Ages. Yes, of course, yes. And, like, no. No. We're not better than them, actually. Yeah, Yeah, human beings are... Oh, yeah, like, when I was teaching uh, 
about the medieval period, we were looking at a bunch of like manuscripts Mm -hmm. and a lot of the, you know, the people who were literate are overwhelmingly members of the church, right? Like monks and stuff. And they're like drawing cats in the marginalia. And it's like, we are not different. No. Like we just have an internet in which we can share our cat pictures, but like. No, humans have always been humans. Yeah, we're always like that. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to talk about archetypes, but um, do we? Do you want to talk about fan theories at all? Um, if you find them interesting. I don't, I mean, I already talked about my one little theory. But right, But have you yeah. found any fan theories that you think are interesting? Um, I just found one. So someone from Reddit whose username is Squickchick. Um, so Squickchick says, about two years ago posted on Reddit, that what's meant to happen that there's like you know a subplot that is meant to reveal that paul and marcy were always destined to to fall in love and be together right because at the beginning of the movie marcy and jeff are dating right whatever and then we see paul kind of pining over karen right apparently since like seventh grade which is just ridiculous (laughs) what spending years of your life just like falling for someone who doesn't care about that I don't relate to that at all I don't I've never that doesn't sound like anything I would have done um anyway um more than once uh so uh yeah that uh that Paul and and Marcy are destined to be together right obviously they're both part of separate little love interest stories but um we do see a lot of like visual symmetry between the two right mm-hmm. like they're displayed in a way that like they're kind of on you know either again a mirror right mirroring each other in like their physical you know mm-hmm. or emotional appearance right um we also see the like if you recall in the film like paul and marcy get along yeah you know and they do kind of seem to work together the best they work together to like help karen yeah. out right you know they seem to be on the same page a lot of the time yeah they're, they're good teamwork right um they do have a lot of, like, when they're taking care of Karen, they have, like, a kind of nurturing couple imagery of, yeah. like, taking care of their sick kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say there's also, yeah. um, apparently it's only in the director's cut, the last night that the four of them are together in the cabin. Uh-huh. So Karen's already sick, but the rest right. of the four of them are together. Yeah. That we get a shot of Paul and Marcy sleeping in the same bed together. So this is before they slept together, but they're just sort of, like sleeping next to each mm-hmm. other it's just sort of like pre-setting up that they're going that they're getting closer to each other they're, yeah, the, they're you know jeff yeah. is off somewhere else by himself because he doesn't want to get near anybody bert's by himself because he's always by himself because he's by himself but yeah but paul because no are, one likes him no one fucking likes him <laughs> um and then uh, and then obviously you know they have sex and then the, another fan theory is that like that regardless of the the beats of the film, like what actually happens in the movie, even if that didn't happen, even if like Henry the Hermit hadn't come around and like, you know, escalated things that Marcy and Paul would still have like gotten together by the end of the weekend. Right. Mm. And then they, you know, and then again, there's like, Oh, and then part of this theory is that Marcy would have gotten pregnant from Paul. That's where they lose me. And yeah, that's where I'm lost. And like that, Paul because Paul kind of is our final boy he is our final he's our final boy so this idea because he he is you know while we can talk about how Paul is actually the worst right he kind of is our final boy he's kind of our hero yeah right he's the one we stick the closest to. yeah we stick the closest to and and we're the most concerned with I feel Mm -hmm. yeah uh, his safety right and so like the idea was that you know Paul was gonna die 
as in like a sacrificial way, but then like he would live on through like the child. Oh God, Marcy I hate had. it. And I was like, first of all, how dare you assume that Marcy's keeping that child? Yeah. If, like if she gets pregnant. And right? like, why would it even be Paul's when she's also sleeping with Jeff? Exactly. Uh, so it's an interesting little idea that, you know, because obviously we're meant to believe that, you know, oh, it's going to be Paul and Karen are going to yeah. hook up over the course of this weekend at the cabin. Yeah. Right, you like know? everybody in the movie's thinking it. And so Marcy. Like... Yeah. And Marcy and Jeff are already together. So we're just like, OK, them too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that like the the point is, is that no matter what would have happened over the course of this weekend mm-hmm. in this cabin in the woods. Right. That that Paul and Marcy would eventually end up together. Hmm. It's an interesting little. I mean, I, I definitely do believe that Karen was never actually going to date Paul. No. She just wasn't. It gonna. wasn't going to happen. She wasn't going to. Yeah, and I also actually do believe that Marcy was going to eventually get fed up with Jeff. Yeah. Jeff. They do not seem compatible at all. Yeah. Jeff was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it just sort of depends on whether Marcy realized that um, Paul is um, a, a slasher killer. <laughs> right. So this is a really interesting, interesting little thing um, that this movie, right, it obviously heavily inspired by 80s slasher films, right? Mm-hmm. Another 80s horror is that like this movie does a really interesting job of of subverting a traditional horror theme like specifically a final girl right mm-hmm. we don't have a final girl it's set up yeah with three boys and two girls so which we could have usually had. how it goes right yeah. um that we would have a final girl but we don't actually the girls die first yeah both of them marcy is technically the first one to die of yeah. the five um and then karen's not too far behind her right um but instead, Paul is our final boy, right? And final boys aren't unheard of. Yeah. I think my favorite example of a final boy is in uh, the second Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. Freddy's Revenge, just because of the bisexuality of it all. Right. Um, yeah, so we have a final boy instead of a final girl. Not unheard of, but traditionally it would be a girl instead, right? Mm-hmm. And then not only is Paul our final boy, but he is also our slasher yeah like if this is a send-up of like slasher movies so he's the one who does the slashing he slashes he's responsible for killing three human beings and two animals <laughs> uh in this film he, honestly i'm surprised that it's only three human beings right so he he does shoot dr mambo uh, yeah. right which is in self-defense so i guess i can kind of be okay with it and then he shoots the the unnamed deer <laughs> Yeah. As if the deer would have a name. Um, <laughs> Did to its parents. Uh, actually, technically, he he has a, a major role in the death of Henry the Hermit. So let's add that. That's so actually true. four he people. Yeah. Burns him. Yeah. Really. He, he has a, a role in the death of Henry the Hermit. He kills Karen. Yeah. Right. Karen is sick. She's barely hanging yep. on, but still alive. And he technically it's a mercy kill, but bashes her head in with a shovel. Which of all the ways to mercy kill somebody. And then he kills two of the like the locals right uh well, he, two of them two maybe three no wait which ones okay so he gets there bert is there on the door yes. ready to shoot them but he doesn't really pull it off but he does he gets one of them bert gets one of them no no he doesn't manage to shoot one he just distracts them in time okay for paul to bean one over the yeah. head when that guy is falling down his gun goes off yes and shoots the other one that's right then paul kills uh fenster he kills the guy with the kit right uh he the person he stabs through the ear with a screwdriver yeah and then he kills um dennis's dad he's 
he sort of impales him. Yes, Tommy and impaled with guy, a sharp stick. The other guy at the yeah. convenient from that little mob trio. Yes, he just puts into the basement and doesn't actually kill. Yes, the cops kill him yes. later. And then, but then he goes to that underage drinking party. But he doesn't actually kill anyone at the underage there. drinking party. No. Oh, he ducks out of the way. Yes. For party goer number one, <laughs> hits accidentally hits party goer number two in the face, which is when we get the uh, my favorite horror part, which is the the accordion and the windpipe. See, my problem with I that part that. is that it is so over the top campy horror humor yes that i feel like the rest of the movie isn't but i feel like maybe it was trying to be campy horror humor and it just wasn't to my i just didn't find it funny personally (laughs) so therefore that scene seemed jarring to me as like you're trying way too hard to be funny and this is not a funny movie (laughs) you know but like probably people who thought the movie was funny thought that that fit in right well yeah the 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 accordion not accordion excuse me (laughs) harmonica Ooh, accordion down your mouth (laughs) the harmonica in the windpipe is so it is outrageous yeah. it's outlandish right it's, it's like oh yeah. my goodness yeah yeah um it just seems like a step above the other deaths where i'm like okay okay except we don't really know that i mean apparently it's it's marked as a death but like i don't know okay. he may have survived uh, maybe and then the does he not does paul not kill any of those kids i felt like he does end up killing one of them maybe he just oh he knocks down and or shoots the officer but Officer Olsen. But he, but he, he ends up living. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Paul's got problems, man. Paul's the, the other part, the other scene that stands out for me for Paul is in the beginning when they're all talking about, right after they realize that they burnt the hermit, Henry. Yeah. Let's call him by his name. Yeah. Give him respect. It's Henry. Have um, some respect for the dead. Yeah. Um, they're all talking about, well, what do we do? Do we call the cops? Yeah. Do we go try to help him? Yeah. The rain's probably going to put it out. What do we do? They're like talking about him freaking out. That whole conversation, Paul is sitting at the table with honey on his fingers. Oh, yeah. Watching it drip off his fingers. Yeah. And they really want us to focus on him just watching that honey. drip off yeah. his fingers. And it is such a moment of like, oh, this guy's a little messed up. Yeah. Like, and it, I feel like we're meant to see the similarity between the honey and like the flesh melting off of henry's body yeah because i feel like he even has like his only line in that scene Mm -hmm. we're not really focused on him so i'm actually not positive he said it and wasn't one of the other guys yeah because we can't really see who says it but i think it's him he says did you see that guy's skin yeah something like that yeah so like yeah so there are we are supposed to think of the skin in that but it's like i mean on the one hand i understand that being the way that somebody would maybe cope with something horrific that just happened like that was a traumatic event even if they weren't the ones who died like they just think they contributed to killing somebody right like that would be super traumatic and so like shutting down in that way and just sort of focusing on honey i don't want to like pathologize that and be like that's oh he's crazy and a psycho killer because of that but like knowing everything else that's coming with paul i feel like the movie wants us to see that as sort of like a oh especially is like Especially mm. when he does kill Karen. Because, like, she's pretty close to death. Yeah. He probably, if he's going to mercy kill her, as, like, we're, you know, apparently yeah. supposed to believe it is, right? <laughs> um, that he hits her a lot of times. I know. Of all and it's like, you probably only needed to hit her, like, twice. Yeah. But, like, he goes for it. And also, like, shuffles are heavy. And, like, that is a physical action that is exhausting. I just don't think that would be the way if I was going to try to mercy kill somebody yeah and then i mean you work with the tools you have but like does that actually i mean does that seem like a better way to go 
than whatever else was going to happen to her. I think she was going to bleed out before anything else because the dog started eating her That's at that That's true, point. yeah. She yeah. was probably going to bleed out. And, like, is that a bad way to go? She's probably in a lot of pain getting a hammer. To, I mean, we a know that they the have a gun, although I, at that point, I don't know where the gun is meant to be. Well, he just used it to kill Dr. Mambo. Oh, okay. Maybe they're out of ammo. Maybe. It also is supposed to be a BB gun, though it is strong oh, enough to kill Dr. A Mambo. Dog. Huh. Though he does get kind of a shot right in the face, so. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that gun. Uh, yeah, and then, like, he kills one of the locals by stabbing them through the ear with a screwdriver. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a little yeah. gratuitous. I mean, again, we're supposed to be like, well, he's acting in defense of himself. I guess. Really. Because these guys are coming there to kill him. Yeah. So, like, there's ways for us to still be on Paul's side. But, like, just the, like, gusto he goes at it with. Yeah. It's just sort of odd. Like, he came ready to kill people. He just jumps to it so quickly. Yeah, he he warms up to it very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly he's just like, anybody and we, I can get my hands on. And we really don't see a lot of, like, remorse. No. Afterwards. And I kind of understand not being remorseful about killing somebody who's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. But, like... He, to do it in such, like, gruesome ways. He could have grabbed one of the other guy's guns instead of going over to Dennis's dad and, like, impaling him with a stick. Like, he could have shot that guy. Yeah, there were For guns that matter, there. there were other guns. Yeah, and he just leaves those. There are other guns. He yeah. just leaves those. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe he finds guns impersonal. Yeah, he wants to kill with he his wants hands. To be, yeah, up, up he close. He wants to bludgeon yeah. and stab. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't trust Paul. I'm worried about Paul. Plus, just the non-consent issues that he has not only in the scene with karen yeah, yeah, yeah but also later when he we know that he is a peeping tom i mean bert kind of makes the joke about being a peeping tom mm-hmm. when jeff and marcy are having sex but later when paul is specifically out there to get help because they are in a bad situation and he goes to a house where he sees a woman is naked inside oh yeah so he just stops and stares at her yeah and it's like focus priorities like, Paul. and then the husband comes out with a shotgun and oh, it's like right. paul you just fucked up your chance to get help. To get some help. Because you you're staring at this chick. Yeah. I don't know. Paul. Paul has issues. Um, I feel like this leads me, I don't know about you, but leads me really beautifully into uh, archetypes. Yeah. Let's play our game. Let's, let's play, play archetypes. Okay. So, Katie, would you mind just super quick for, you know, the uninitiated what this game is? Okay. So Archetypes is based on the film Cabin in the Woods, which is based on every other horror movie. (laughs) Um, And it's the idea that when you have these five protagonists, specifically in a horror film, but, you know, we like to do it with other things, too, because it's a fun game. Yeah. We put them in. We decide who falls into which archetype with all of its attached significations. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So we've got the whore. Yeah. Who dies first. Always. We've got the athlete. We've got the scholar, mm-hmm. we've got the fool, mm-hmm. and we have the virgin who always dies last or maybe doesn't die at all. As fate decides. Yeah. But if she dies, she has to die last. Yes. And the only important thing is that she suffers. Yes. Uh, do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah. I feel like you've actually thought about this more. I thought about this. Uh, well, so, uh, you know, there's a little bit of oversimplification here because... You know, if we're given these five archetypes, there's only two roles for women. Right. Which is a virgin and a whore. And it's like, okay, we get it, you know. But as I've talked about, I don't. You're not buying it. I'm not buying it. I love that for you. Uh, I usually, you, you know, because and then usually with these groups of five, we usually get two girls mm-hmm. and three 
boys. Yeah. Right? So and very we, often one of the girls dies first and one of the girls is our final girl. Exactly. So it makes sense. So yeah. for so yeah, Marcy and Karen represent my whore and virgin respectively. So I feel like just from what we were just talking about with Paul. Yeah. And the fact that he survives to the end. Is he a whore? And he's our final boy. Yeah. That that would make him perhaps our virgin. Fair enough. I I don't think so. But, you know. Yeah? Yeah. No, okay. So tell me more about these girls. Which one did you say was which? So Honestly, I could see either of them. So Marcy is the whore because she does die first, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, that is, like, the signifier of the whore is, like, she has to die first, right? And also she has sex with two different men. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm not judging. Yeah. But I'm just thinking about, like, how she is the one that is much more explicitly sexual. I Whereas disagree Karen with that. Karen is a little more... I think Karen is the one who is more explicitly sexual, really? even though she doesn't have those sex scenes. Right. We spend more time staring... Well, we get that shot of her in her bikini, which is very much, like, luxuriating in her body. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, where, like, as we were talking about we with the sex scenes... We get shots of Marcy, too, though. Well, we get that one sort yeah. of shot, tracking shot of her ass and her jeans. I thought when that she's was Marcy. Away. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's kind of it, though, because even with those sex scenes, we sort of see her back, but we don't, you yeah. know, and we do get her boobs and stuff. So, yeah. like, we do get her, but so- Karen, I just feel like, like I was talking about, all she does is talk about sex. And even though she's not the one who dies first, she's the one who's marked for death first. This is true. She's the sick one. Like, yeah. If anybody was going to, like, if they were only going to die by the disease, she was going to be the first to go. Yeah. That, I don't know. She just, I just, I could see her being the whore just as easily as Marcy. Interesting. I feel like within the context. She definitely of, doesn't seem like a virgin. Of the, I feel like within the context of the film, because like we do hear Karen tell stories about like her past. Yeah. And like what she was like in college, maybe. Right. But like within the context of the film, you know, she's relatively virginal. You yeah. Know, she, all she does is kiss a guy. She kisses a guy. She's kind of boring. She's like. So, I mean, flirty, they also make, but yeah. not explicit with Paul. They make jokes know? about how she's going to sleep with Grimm. Because oh. apparently that's the sort of thing Karen would do. Oh, I actually learned, I also found a different fan theory that Marcy sneaks off to have sex with Grimm <laughs> uh, in exchange for his marijuana. <laughs> and of course, it's like, ah, oh, it's 2002. Like, you that... might have needed to have sex with someone for marijuana. Like, you couldn't just. And they think Marcy yeah. did that instead of Karen? They think Marcy Karen does that, Karen was yeah. the one who was like, bring your weed when you come back and was like flirting with Oh, Grimm. yeah. Why would they think Marcy did that instead of Karen? Because Marcy's the whore. Especially since Karen's the one who got <laughs> sick know. first. What if she got it from having Maybe. sex with Grimm? Yeah, exactly. That seems like a better theory to me. Yeah, well, now, now I don't know what to believe. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, just again, because while you're right, Karen is marked for death first, Marcy does die yeah. first. I don't know. Um. I feel like once again, we have a situation where the girls are so, like, almost interchangeable. Yeah. That it almost doesn't even matter. Because Eli Roth has never met a human yeah. woman. Yeah. I like, I, I couldn't really call either of them the virgin. No. Um, I, I like the, the, you know, the argument for Paul being the virgin. Because um, um, even though he does have sex, I feel like he has it in that, like, pivotal moment that, like, Sydney in Scream has sex. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know? She has it in that sort of, like, character moment. I think that is different. I think Paul is our fool. Mm. Um. Because he, you know, uh, which I can sympathize with, he wastes, he's wasting a lot of time on a girl who's just not into him. Yeah. It's a pretty foolish thing to do. Yeah. It could also be a virginal thing to do. Fair enough. I feel like also, um, yeah, Bert and or Jeff 
have the hallmarks of the fool of when we think about the inebriation part? Oh, yes. I For a while, I, I was operating under the assumption Bert was my fool just because he's gross, and basically. He's, you know, drunk and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Doing dumb things like lighting fires in the middle of the forest and, and sh- stuff. Shooting squirrels. Yeah. Yeah. My first instinct with him just from his appearance, I guess, was jock. But I had nothing really to back it up. Fair enough. Yeah. Baseball cap. Yeah. yeah. I, he just sort of had a jock. And then in my him. brain, I was like, is, is he wearing a letterman's jacket? And I was like, no, I got him confused with Chris Hemsworth's, yeah. char- Chris Hemsworth's character like in Cabin kind in the of Woods. A vibe, where he, like, he is literally wearing a, yeah. a letterman's jacket. Right. I mean, going hunting is sort of, I feel like, a part of being at the athlete. It sort of is connected to being the hunter. Exactly. So yeah. there is that. Yeah. But and, he's bad at it. But so. I also think that a very foolish thing for Paul to do was to have unprotected sex with Marcy. Yeah. That was a stupid thing <laughs> for him to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he also seems to like have a really hard time like focusing on the task at hand. Right. Like, until it's murder. Until. Yeah. Until it's time for murder. Like when he's looking for help and he gets distracted by a naked lady. It's yeah. just like, come on, get, get it together. You know? Um, yeah. I do think that Bert. It, well, and then, of course, I, once yeah. you go through them, you kind of run out of archetypes. And it's just like, well, <laughs> it's then you need like, to. Yeah. None of them are the scholar. Yeah. Well, I think. I, think, I mean, Jeff has to be, probably. I think Jeff is our scholar because it's it's insinuated that he studied pre-law yeah, in college. and he's going to go to law school. He might go to law school. And he is, he is technically does take the most correct course of action and, when yeah. met with this communicable disease, right? Um, he covers his face, yeah. you know, like we all the stuff we talked about. And also, he just kind of looks like a know-it-all asshole. He really does. Yeah. God, I, and then remember when like they're at the convenience store at the beginning and he makes some like reference to litigation yeah, or like yeah, yeah. you're gonna get sued and i was like okay buddy calm down calm the fuck um, down jeff and then bert is our athlete i think he is the one who takes action the most he's the one who who does the most to fix the car i mean his yeah his response to everything is to fight it. Right. He drives into town for help. He uh, seems to be proficient in hunting, right? He's I mean, I squirrels. wouldn't call it proficient. He's a hunter. He has a BB gun. He's got a Is BB. what he is. And he's drinking beer. He is a man who has a BB gun. Yeah. <laughs> that does not make you a hunter. And he does. <laughs> uh, and as you mentioned, right, he, he reacts to things you know, with, with violence and with, with physical action. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm so, just now realizing that this really is just sort of like the crappiest, worst version of all of these archetypes. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like as bad as you could be. Like, well, and I think... You're just awful at this. I, <laughs> I think there's really something to say about the fact that the virgin and the horde are pretty interchangeable, right? Well, I mean... And if we think about archetypes of women, like, it's a tale as old as time. Like, yeah. you are either the virgin or you are the whore, right? But, yeah. And, like, and, and so there's really no room to be anything else, right? And yeah. also, like, we care so little about women's interlo- inner yeah. lives that, like, a virgin and a whore, while those are the only two things you can be and they are meant to be opposites, they often overlap. right. Which goes to, yeah, it just goes to how these women are written. Yes. But it also goes to the limitations of thinking of the idea that women have to be the virgin and the whore. Especially when we think about, well, if it's the whore, then she has to die first. But then what about the virgin having to die last? In this case, neither of those girls die last. It's true. Paul dies last. Paul dies last. So doesn't that mean he has to be our virgin? He would be a virgin. Yeah. And then, like, what? Is Marcy our fool? I mean, maybe for saying I'm healthy. Uh, and not using a condom you know like she's as much of a fool in that situation as paul is i wonder if what about this 
Marcy's also kind of the one if we want to go to those hallmarks of virginity and like yeah. with the connection to like not the virginity side but the more like Madonna whore thing that yeah. dichotomy of like this more motherly thing yeah 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 she's the one who's doing a lot of the cooking and the cleaning and the taking care of people that's true that's she makes dinner yeah doesn't she and she yeah. cleaned all the plates and stuff yeah I don't know. That's a good point. Okay, hold on. I got an idea. Hold on. Okay. Because so, you could do it with more than five, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's get Grim in this. Oh, Grim. So then if he's... He's a fool. He's a fool. So then that makes it's... Karen and Marcy both whores. Oh. And that makes Paul the virgin. That's an interesting way to think of it. With... Because, yeah, who cares about the women? They're both whores. With Grim. Because, yes, it's funny. You slut. Wait, is Marcy the one who gets called a slut and a whore? Or are they both called a like a derogatory um, name? Marcy is called a slut by Bert. Okay. Karen is called a whore okay. by Bert. Okay, yeah, so there you go. They may also get called other things at other times. Those are the two I recall but, off the top yeah. of my head. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so both of the women are whores. Because that's Paul's left to be women. the virgin because he, he is the final boy. He does survive the longest, yeah. right? Um, and, he, yeah, there are things about him that are quite virginal, right? Yeah. You know? I mean, because so much of this is focusing on him trying to get laid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is, like, such the classic, like... When we think instead about those like teen comedy movies, oh, God. you have that virgin guy yeah. who's trying to get laid by the yeah. hot chick on oh, the, you know, God. like yeah. that could have been his story if this That's was true. one of these movies. Yeah. If it wasn't a horror film. Yeah. And then, yeah, Grimm is very foolish. He's just kind of like walking around the woods. Yeah. He's got a ton of weed, which, you know, I mean, is... we, yeah, the inebriation part of being yeah, a yeah, fool yeah. is having the weed. Uh, he's just kind of, he's very silly. He's yeah. kind of the comic relief. Like they're interested in learning about Dr. Mambo and he's just like totally blows it off. And it's like, yeah, a professor of being, being a, a dog. dog. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like Bert is your athlete or is maybe he more of a fool? Cause he's also quite foolish. He is quite foolish. Yeah. No, but I think there's something to be said about how much he chooses fight. Yeah. In every opportunity he can. Yeah. And then, and then there's Jeff, who just has to be a scholar just by virtue of elimination. Yeah, that, that's I mean, all that's left. He's technically, oh, God, no! <laughs> it's just they're all so. <laughs> I hate Jeff so much. <laughs> I hate them all so much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So those are those are my archetypes. Yeah, I think no. I don't think yeah. I feel strongly any particular way about it, but I like that. I think okay. that makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. I think I could be swayed a lot of ways though on this one because. That's part of the fun of the game. It, yeah, it's it's a fun game. Like, yeah, you could, you know, the, this is the thing is that all of these archetypes are very specific and very restrictive boxes yeah. that human Nobody. beings don't fit in. Yeah. But, like. Let's try to make them in We can make them, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Anything else? No, I think we can close it off here. Let's never watch this movie again. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Deep Thoughts, Shallow Plots. Join us next time where we, we will be discussing The Evil Dead, the 1981 version. Thanks, as always, to Matt for our music and general sound goodness. And until next time, we'll need the kit. Hey!